lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, welcome back to Sports Cards Live. We had a week off last week, but uh, we are going to get to it tonight. Welcome. This is episode 108 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday, August the 7th, 2021. My name is Jeremy Lee, still the same name. So listen, I was at the National last week. We did not have any episodes, but I do want to thank two Saturdays ago. Our guest was Dr. James Beckett. We had a great episode with Dr. Beckett. And then I also want to thank Filmington for joining on The Late Show. Thank you to both of you. Great episodes. Tonight on After Hours, when we are done with Brian Gray, we're going to come back live with Card Ladder co-founders Chris McGill and Josh Johnson. That's going to be a great episode as well. Shout outs for the evening, everybody. We have now passed 3,300 subscribers. What a milestone. Thank you, everyone, for your continued support and encouragement. I greatly appreciate it. I also want to thank the loyal podcast listeners. Appreciate you guys very much. If you get a chance, catch a live version sometime. I hope you will enjoy that. I want to shout out the Big Three Hockey on Instagram. Great supporters of the channel. Give them a follow on Instagram. They showcase some fine cards and even let me hold a Pokemon Illustrator at the National worth apparently like a million dollars. I got to hold that in my hands. That was kind of neat. I also want to shout out the Wisconsin Dell Shows, the Wiz Dell Shows, guys. This show is coming up August 20, 21, and 22 in Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin. Check it out if you're in the area or you're going to travel to there. I hope you have a great time. I hope to get there one of these uh, months soon, for sure, One of the an, at an upcoming show. I also want a final shout out, guys. I want to shout out everyone that I got to meet at the National uh, what an honor it was. Everyone who came to me at my section or my little spot and said hello, everyone that I chased down and said hello to, it was just really awesome to meet everybody in person uh, that we'd had the chance to communicate and and you know meet through the show over the past year and a half. So shout out to each and every person I met. I swear each and every interaction was very meaningful for me and uh, just, just so great to meet everybody. So thanks everybody for that. And for the record, the question I got asked the most at the show was how tall am I? For the record, everybody. I'm six, five and a half. That is my height. No taller, no shorter. All right. Let's, oh, and as always, let me remind you, your comments, your questions are in play. We got Brian Gray. We got some topics to talk about, but bring your questions. You know, he's got a mind for this hobby. And, uh, you know, whether you agree or disagree with, with, with how he sees things unfolding, he's always interesting. Let's bring him out. There he is. BG, welcome back. How are you doing tonight? Oh, man, I'm having fun. Woo, ready to roll. Ready to roll. All right, man. So listen. We were at the National together. It was kind of cool. My, uh, I was at the Iconic Auctions booth right next to the Leaf Trading Cards booth. So I got to see every time I left the booth, say hello. And I got to tell you, man, like every time I walked by, you were sitting at your table, looked like a professor. You had your laptop, you had your glasses on, your calculator. And either, you know, there was at least one person there sitting down across from you. You were doing business, you were buying cards. And oftentimes there was a line of people waiting to talk to you to sell cards to you. Um, just briefly before we go to comments and welcome everybody here tonight, how was how was it kind of what, what was the overall buying experience feeling for you like at this show? It was more fun than it's been recently, I'll tell you, because the biggest thing is until this show, pretty much buying from the public had been really hard. 
because they wanted 90% of eBay comps. And, you know, we've all gotten tired of hearing about comps this, comps that, whatever. But, I mean, people wanted 90% until this show. And suddenly there were deals at 65 to 80%, you know, whatever it was. Like, the levels had gotten real. And it really felt good to be able to, like, I got you pull 50 cards out of a guy's briefcase and you buy it all. You don't, like, have to put half of them back because, oh, I'm in that one at 1200 You only pay nine because it's 1000 on eBay, you know. We really were buying a lot of cards, and I fell short of my goal. And our goal was to spend a million dollars. I think we spent somewhere in the eights, you know, eight forty, eight sixty, something like. That. We just, the most we'd ever spent at a show was three thirty. So like we blew it away by a mile. Wow. And honestly, I had a kidney stone during the show, and if I didn't, I would have spent a million five. I mean, because I honestly had to go back to the room and sleep, and all kinds of different stuff, you know. So if it weren't for craziness, I couldn't control. We would have blown past our goal. Because there right. were plenty of cards. I didn't walk the floor. Everything I bought, I bought at my booth, if you can believe it. Well, I saw. I saw. I saw there were people lined up to deal with you. So Seven people deep at some points. Yeah, I, I noticed. I and they waited like an hour. We had people wait an hour to an hour and a half to sell us stuff. There's like a whole room full of people and millions and millions of dollars, but they waited an hour and a half to sell it to us. That means something. Well, you know, we love it. But the reason is because you're fair. You're. Fair. I've sold to you for the over the years several times. You're, you're fair to deal with. You, you pay fair, and and you're you're pretty uh, straight up with what it is you're trying to do, and what you can pay. So okay, before we get into what you bought, I mean, it's interesting to know that you spent over eight hundred grand. That's that's a big number in, in a weekend. But uh, let's go to the comments. Let's see who's here. Let's welcome everybody back. It's been really two weeks. I did do a, a sort of impromptu live stream earlier today just to talk about my personal experience at the at the, at the national. Because I want to focus on you tonight and uh, and the card ladder fellows later on. But first of all, we got Ian Undercover was here early. Good evening, Ian. Baseball card collector, welcome to the show. We got MMA. Rocco's back says, good evening. Nothing better than a hot August night than sports cards. Live to cool things off as we go leafing through the hobby with Jeremy Wright. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Rocco Rosado. DR, good evening. I blinded him with refractors. Uh, don't know who that is, but welcome to the show. B-Roy, good evening to you. Great to have you. Dennis Lescom is back. Pete Nays, good evening. Facebook user, good evening. Jeremy Pringle is back. Mike Wick is back. Lots of people here. Mike Hamp. Mike, thank you so much for the for the uh, Patrick Kane card. I appreciate it. Now that you remind me, I remember it was you, bro. Great to – anyway, great to have you back, buddy. Kyle Schneider, good evening. Baseball collector still here. Victor, good evening to you. One Million Cubs Project. Great meeting you. Yeah, great meeting you and everybody else. First time watching live. Great to have you, man. Thank you for joining Troy, what is happening? Great to have you. Lee Haskins, going to be fun hearing your thoughts on National. Yeah, Kyle Schneider was there. Good evening, Kyle. Terry's back. Good evening, Terry. I can't wait to hear what Brian, but yeah, Brian, we're going to have to hear a bit of what you picked up. We got Lucky K in the house. Good evening to you. Michael Corbley, good evening to you. Holy moly, we got a lot of people here tonight. One for the task. How are you doing? GB Rainbow says hi to BG. David Owens is here. We got David O. We got DR. Just a half inch shorter than Jordan. That's right. Just a half inch. Val <laughs> Schneider says, what's popping? BG. Slabstrong is here. Wow. We got everybody here tonight, guys. I don't know if I, how much long. We got Toa in the house. Toa's here as always. Kyle Schneider. Mike Wick. What is happening, man? Georgetown Village. Chad Shipper was at the National. Great to see you, Chad. Tyler is here. Good evening to you. B-Rad is here. Pete Nays wants to really know if there was a lot of younger generation of the National. Look, there was some excitement there. Let's stop right there, BG. I'll go first. You go second to Pete's question. I could not believe how many young people there were. And by young people, I mean like 8 to 20. 8 to 20 years yeah. old. The room was packed with youngsters. It was really, really great to see. And I think it'll alleviate a lot of the concerns that people have had over the last year 
that there aren't many young people in the hobby. Brian, what do you think? Oh, 100%. And it's not just that they were there. They had money. And some of them didn't. Some of them are new to the hobby. But there was plenty of money with young people. And when I went through briefcases, young kids are carrying around. I mean, I remember when I was 16, I had like 20 count lots of like bird magics and stuff like that. Like, and I thought I was a big deal. But these kids are whipping out like, I was like, what do you want for this? Uh, 22.5K, 7.5K. I'm like, dude, I mean, you got more money in that briefcase and I made my first three years in the hobby from 1989 to 1991, you know? Right. And it's like, it's amazing. And, and so, like, it wasn't just the presence of kids. It's the level of activity. It really is a mental reset. We forget how much money is floating in this business. And we think, all oh, things are dropping in price, whatever. But, like, the amount of moving is crazy, crazy. Yeah. And, you know, if you uh, – there's been a lot of talk in hobby content since uh, the since last weekend when, it, when the show ended about all the off-site – activity at the hotel lobbies Lowe's hotel is kind of I think that's going to go down now is probably the greatest uh trade night pop-up card show of all time maybe you know I mean we we have formal trade nights I'm talking about an informal we had the card collector two trade night on Thursday night you had a, a Blake Jameson inspired trade night put on by uh uh Beans Ball Card sorry uh slipping my mind right now but we had we had we had back-to-back trade nights then and you know but this thing just popped out out of nowhere I don't know. Did you hear about this, Brian? Did you, you didn't, you weren't there. I don't think, but did you hear about this at Lowe's? Trade night? No, the, the Lowe's hotel on Thursday night. Okay. Not planned. It was, it wasn't a planned event, but all of a sudden there were like, I mean, I've heard estimates of up to a thousand people in that lobby and the two hallways going off it towards the banquet halls filled with people, tables lining both sides of these hallways. And like, I thought there were at least 500 people in there. I've heard people say a thousand just it was crazy how many people were out there with their cards laid out everywhere whether it was on the floor on on the chairs on the back of chairs in the flight center it, it was absolutely nuts and people were saying that there were a lot of deals being done in well the- even the planned trade night over at the hyatt i mean i unfortunately was ill and had to go to bed but like if i had known or been healthy i would have just taken a bunch of money down there because i think even though it's trade night i'll be trading money i think honestly the amount again this is we're at a level of activity that's like unprecedented you can talk about 1991 and 250 to 200,000 people showed up at the national, whatever you want to say about that. This is like different zip code. Yeah. This is a different world. And like the past is over. Like we're in a new era of, of collecting in the business and investing and whatever you want to do here. I mean, this is just proof positive. It is insane. It was insane. It was insane. The amount of young people there, it blew my mind. I, and I was really happy because I, I always felt like there were a, more young people in the hobby than the narrative was kind of telling us. But I wasn't expecting that many. And it was Beantown, Beantown collectibles that that had that uh, promoted and held the uh, the Blake Jameson trade night on Love Thursday it. night. It was at the same hotel after the card collector, too, which I also missed. I was at it in 2019. I missed it this time. I had other events to, to attend, unfortunately, or fortunately. But um and I heard that that was over two thousand people in twenty nineteen. I think uh, I think it was it was supposed to be around eleven or twelve hundred. So, lo- the thing about the national now, everybody, is that it's not just the show at the Stephen Center itself. It's all the ancillary activities going on around it, and it's not things that are def- necessarily by invitation. There are these pop up trade nights and card shows that are that were very very popular. All right, let's keep running through here. Jeff McMahon, good evening to you, the collector. Eric's here. We got Steve Foley from Florida. Good evening to you. 
Mike Absolute Authentics, my one-year anniversary watching SCL and seeing BG Live for the first time. Awesome. One year. Crazy. Great to have you as always. Ed Garris, love all the Leaf baseball products. Chris Sumter, good evening to you. Mike Wick, I'm sure I speak for everyone when I ask, what were some of your biggest single purchases in that $800,000 buying spree? Cards that stuck out to you. Brian, why don't you throw a couple at us? You know what's funny is I didn't buy big stuff. That's why it's so staggering what we bought. Um, because the biggest card we bought was $10,500. It was an SGC9 Jordan. That was the biggest card I bought. I bought a crap load of affordable stuff. And you'll hear later what my premise is and why I'm buying that stuff. But like, yes, I know everyone's buying these big nosebleed whatevers. Man, I'm telling you, I bought, I would say 80% of what I bought was under $300, under $500. I spent that much money on stuff that's 50 to $500. What was the biggest uh, deal you did? Like whether it was a, you know, 10 cards or a thousand cards. What was, uh, the most money, what was the most money you gave one person? I had a couple of like, I think my biggest one was 55K. Yeah. And I bought a bunch of stuff and it was like 70, 75% of comps and it was stuff I wanted to own. I was like, hello, no brainer. I had to buy that. How long did it take for you to get that deal done from start to finish? A deal minutes. like that, if you don't remember. 40 exactly. minutes. Yeah. And then I had another one that was 30 minutes. It was like 45K and another one. I had a few big big purchases, but I, I had 500 and 2,000 and four grand it to death. You know, but I, I just, we honestly, we couldn't count out the money fast enough because there was another person ready to sell. And again, when, when people beg you to give them money for stuff that's worth more than you're paying for it, and I believe all these assets are undervalued, you know, yeah, come to Papa, let's do it. You know, <laughs> I'm ready to play. Well, you do a good, you're, you're a good buyer, man. Like I said earlier, I, I've sold to you at card shows for probably 10 years now. And, uh, and it's always, it's always a quick and easy deal with you. All right, Colin Murray, good evening to you, Josh McGaddy. Gned, what's happening? He says, what cards were the most liquid? I heard soccer. Can you speak to that, Brian? What cards were the most I, liquid at the show? I mean, honestly, I didn't sell anything, you know, so, so I really can't speak to what people were buying off of tables. I can tell you the stuff that I was buying was all rookie-driven stuff. I bought very little, like, you know, Hall of Fame ink. I bought some Kobe's because there were some that were just too cheap to pass up. But, I mean, really, I just bought rookie product. I just think Right now, people were buying pretty much anything that was priced right. Because generally on dealer tables, things were not priced right. Things were generally too high. I tried to walk How around. Do you know? How do you know that if you weren't walking around? Well, before on, on Tuesday, I walked around a little bit before the kidney stone got worse. And I was walking around and I really, it was a struggle to buy anything. You know, they have stuff priced at 500. The last comp was 320. Like, and again, I, I just don't have the time or the energy to sit there and say, well, you take 265 or 270 for that when they have a price to 520. Yeah, well, what I what I found, and, and I think it, I think it's a good point that I'm about to make is that uh, you know, a lot of vendors they, they did it, they might have done shows, they might have done Wisconsin Dells, they might have done Dallas, Philadelphia, Miami, all these different shows, and maybe just you know. It's tough to reprice your cards every show, especially with such a volatile market. So I think a lot of people, my experience was that if you if they was overpriced, a lot of the vendors that you would talk to, they were willing to work with you based on recent comps. I know comps this, comps that, but it's kind of where things are at. And if you were to show them, most people that I talked to and the few deals that I did, they were more than willing to see what the market was at on that day. So I got some of that. I got some of that, but then I got other guys saying, oh, no, I paid 3000 for that. Yeah, that's lost 1, I mean, 
Like, I mean, I would just put that in your briefcase and not waste valuable case space at three thousand yeah. because you ain't selling it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair. All right, Peter Nays, it's awesome to hear that we have the young kids enjoying the hobby. Definitely. All right, Brent Gardner, ask Brian when CD is going to sign or when they're going to offer replacements. If Leaf have money, if Leaf has money to spend, they can compensate their loyal base, waiting almost a year on redemptions. Redemption okay. suck. I want to take this one because I saw he's made a couple of comments that were. Uh, that were interesting. First off, sorry you had to wait so long. CD lost the cards. And because they were metal, we had to wait for a metal job to reprint them. You can't just call the factory and say, hey, print me up 600 CD land metal cards. Doesn't work like that. So uh, and I don't think it was metal. Yet. I think it was Flash and I'm not sure what to say. I think it was Flash and Valiant maybe. But um, but yeah, that's what happens. The guy loses the cards. So we have to wait for another print job to gang him up with because of the technology. If I printed paper cards to give you, you wouldn't have been happy with that. So we had to wait and print it. So what we made is actually, instead of Flash and Valiant, you're going to get unreleased metal cards with new artwork that are ultra limited. But besides that, with tons of parallels, but besides that, CD has been in California training with a team. He's not the fastest signer. He has the cards in Dallas. I talked to the agent again this week. They swear he's signing them. But again, that's the same thing that happens with AJ Brown and a lot of these guys. It's not like we hold these back and say, let's screw the customer over and not fill their redemptions. Ha, <laughs> we got them. You know, we want to fill them. We're waiting for Justin Jefferson to sign his last match. Chase Young lost his last 100 cards from Trinity. He lost them. And we can't reprint them, so we're having to give people replacements. So things like this happen. So, I mean, again, our option is, yes, you want us to offer a replacement? When my replacement offer is Najee Harris, are you happy with that? Because that's probably the replacement for CD Lamb if I replace him. Yeah. I think most customers would rather wait just a little longer and get a guy that's going to end up being a top 10 receiver in the league and just be patient with it. And I know it sucks, but like this guy's been waiting a year. Man, I don't know. Have you bought other companies' products? Because I've still got four year old redemptions. And I honestly don't ask for replacements because it's just fun to see how long it takes to get them. <laughs> you know, it's not their fault either. Players don't care. And so it's our job, is, it's, it's a consumer's job to ask. If you ask for a replacement, email me at brianatleaftradingcards.com and I'll replace your CD Lamb with a Najee Harris, who's brand new. He's going to be one of the top running backs in the league as a rookie. You're welcome to have that. But I think it's silly to trade that at this stage. You've waited a year, give it another month. Yeah, it's just a... Sorry, it's just, though, I hate it. do suck, by the way. You're right. It's part, it's, but they're part of the hobby. And uh, so. Well, the other problem, here's the other problem. If we don't put those, let's say we don't have his cards when the product packs out. So we said, we're not going to do redemptions. We're just going to leave CD out. People would be pissed if we started leaving out some of the best players. In flash football, if we had left Tua out last year, would people have been happy? No way. First off, it's false advertising. If you put them on the sell sheet, you don't include the product or the redemption. And Topps did that with Topps Magic one year. They put Marino and Elway and a bunch of guys on the sell sheet and never made the cards. You know, we're not going to do that. If we put them on the sell sheet, we're going to make a redemption otherwise. We're not pulling great players at the last second saying, guess what? You're not getting CD Lamb. Screw you. That's not fair. All right. Thanks for addressing that, Brent. Hope that uh, answers your question. Chad Shipper, I stayed at Lowe's. It was insane in the in the lobby. Yeah, Michael Ham says at least 500 people. That's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking. Tim wants to know any idea when Leaf Pop Century is releasing, Brian? October, November, best checklist we've ever had. Michael Ham says best deals came at trade night. Also way easier to sell working off comps. Cash was flowing. Collector says, I think the difference now from the 90s is that there are investors and collectors. 
I mean, I think we had we had some of the same back in the 90s. I, I remember, but I think I get what you're saying. Brian Palmer, good evening. FOMO after missing the national. I don't blame you. I mean, if you weren't at the national, you you and this I'm not being accusatory, but you should have FOMO. You missed out. Anyone who wasn't there missed out on a great time. That, as simple as that. Not just a great time. You may have missed out on a turning point in the hobby. Yeah. You may have missed the bottom, the new bottom. You may have missed it. Let's keep running through these. Uh, collector love to hear his biggest card was an SGC. Rob no, said Harvest was just the best value. Really? I don't know why SGC that much, but when a nine SGC I could buy for 10.5 and a Beckett's 14 and a PSA is 20, you know, I bought it under comps because someone, you know, they, it was harder to say. It was a little bit harder to sell SGC. And definitely, like, I saw no one buying HGA in some of the lower companies. Like, when those cards came up, I flipped through them in the case, didn't even look at them. I probably should have. I didn't see many. Uh, I didn't see many SGCs or CSG cards in showcases, but I saw lots of uh, PSA BGS and uh, and some SGCs as well, which uh, which I was happy. With. I picked up some SGC cards. I thought they looked great. Uh, Rob says he sold mostly football. I've heard that. I've heard that uh, football, the the quarterback class. So I think the 2018 quarterback classes. It was pretty hot this uh, this past week. Team uh, says, just saw the McDavid and Gretzky you had in the afternoon. This, yeah, thank Great you very stuff, much. Dude. Great stuff. Thank you. I showed Brian before the show tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, Adventures with Troy National showed vintage is not so rare. But that's that's no uh, that's nothing new. I mean, the National has been showing that for, for decades. So, uh, But for people who had never been to the National before, it's, it's actually interesting to me that so many people – I heard Dustin, the personal finance dad, say that too – which I, I just found it surprising that people thought vintage was rare when if you've been going to, you know, I, I guess if you've been going to card shows for many, many years, you know that, you know, high grade is obviously rare. But in general, there's lots of vintage. BG, what what can you add? Any, add any color to that, uh, that premise? Well, the, the circulating amount of vintage that you can actually buy and sell is rare. In a world where who knows how many prism Trey Youngs there are, you know, in that world, Go try to find 51 Bowman mantles in any kind of reasonable, in any grade. How many were at the show? 15? 25? I mean, that's so it is relatively rare still. But again, vintage is the customers for vintage are also more rare. There's less buyers for vintage than there are new cards. But I think I think it's I think it's plenty rare. And I see I'm starting to see a lot of value there again. <clears throat> I just I, I did buy a number of Jordan rookies, which is not really vintage, but I looked at a 51 Bowman Mantle. I really wanted to buy it. It was high grade, but it was like double the last comp. And like I convinced myself to pay over comps and I still just I can't pay double. Like I don't have that kind of uh, testicular fortitude. And so I, I had to pass, but like I see value there. You're never going to lose money buying those assets if you buy them at market value for the most part, if you're willing to wait it out, take over the little bumps and bruises. Long term, that stuff's proven. It's great. Hundred percent. Joseph says, "What is Brian doing with all the cards he bought at the National? Is it personal? Some of it's being used for repacks, but honestly, a lot of it was investment stuff here. Like, I mean, I probably, I mean, I will tell you, my Ronald Acuna PSA ten stash is up over seventeen hundred now, out of a population of seventeen thousand. So I'm now at a ten percent clip, which is a nice, that's a nice spot to be in. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm gonna, I'm ready to buy the whole pop at these levels. So like." Stuff like that, if I bought it from you, you're not seeing that card until the market appreciates it again. But, you know, it just depends. Some of it was buyback and some of it was keepers. And it's – I can't have to hide it because I don't want to tell people exactly what I want to buy. 
but I bought multiple copies of some of the cards that I really love that I think are too cheap here. What do you think of this one here? JG says, will SGC prices be similar to PSAs in the next few years? <clears throat> I say no, and that's something we're, we talked about pre-show. Something we're going to talk about later is kind of where we're at in the marketplace. I think PSA stuff's ready to take another big move up. I think I think stuff's too cheap. Everything, almost everything. If a player doesn't bomb, I think it's all too cheap here. And honestly, let's get into, let, let's get into it now. We don't have to do that yeah. later. Let's do, it, let's do it right now. So, so yeah, talk talk about that. Why do you think it's too cheap? What, what, speak to that. I mean, I'm calling I'm calling what I call the new bottom right now. This is too cheap. Everything, and I'll tell you why. I do not believe if you believe there's twenty dollar grading from PSA coming anytime soon, then good luck to you. No chance in heck. Grading in the foreseeable future will be fifty dollars or more. I don't. I don't believe at the end of next year we will have anything below fifty dollar grading. How about that? So for twenty twenty two at PSA, I think you're talking fifty and up. And I'm not even sure they get to fifty. But let's say they get down to fifty. Then you also have. Now, people think there's population control and things in PSA. I don't believe that in the slightest. But I do see that the percentage of 10s coming out, at first it was anecdotal. Like people said, hey, I'm getting a worse percentage. But that's becoming a universal anthem now. And I don't think it's population control. I think you have a ton of new graders who are conservative. Because think about it. When you start a new job, if, if you're a waiter, you put 48 glasses of water on your tray at one time or do you put like 10 because you don't want to make a big mistake that might cost you your job you know and so i think it's the same kind of thing i think there's a conservativeness for a new grader and i think that's what might help explain some of the rash of nines like everyone on these new cards is getting loads of nines um you know i think that's a piece of it so when you put these pieces together excitement in the marketplace massive amounts of money flowing in psa grading costs 50 next year maybe Right now, 150 to 200. And then you add the fact that the grades are getting tougher and tougher for whatever reason. I don't even care what the reason is. You can almost throw darts at the dartboard. And if the player is not a bum, if the player doesn't become Bull Bull, who has who averages three points a you know, three three points a game or whatever, you know, horrible, then you're probably fine. I'm telling you, if you buy John Morant PSA 10s at 200. To sell those at 200 right now, you're a moron. And I, I hate to even say it, but like, there's no reason in the world to sell that card. If you've ever watched the person play, he's not a bust. He's not a busto. You know, it's a no-brainer. You can't sell cards for that. It's going to cost you 50 to grade it. You're going to get 40% 10s. It's silly. And then if you want to get really cheaper, you look at things like Topps Update Acuna's that I've been snagging for 120 and less right now. He's the best player in baseball when he's not crippled, which he's not right now, obviously. But when he plays, he's the best player in baseball. I mean, really, Trout remembers when he was as good as Acuna is now. <laughs> Trout used to be that good. And I'm telling you, Acuna is that good. It's 120. It's going to cost you 50 to grade him. And you're going to get half nines now, which are worth 50. So it's a no-brainer. And So I honestly think instead of these nosebleed cards everyone's chasing, my interest is in buying – not only affordable PSA 10s of the best players in the game, Tatis 410s, flagship 410s, whatever it is. But I like high pop cards. Like that like blows people's minds. They're like, why do you want to buy a card with such a high pop? And it's because people are dumb. Because they think 18,000 is a high pop of the best player in baseball. That's not a high pop. Or Zion Williamson, 
one of the most exciting young players in the game. They think Prism at 18,000 is a terrible pop. And it's going to be 30,000 when PSA catches up. And that's still a low pop. The problem is we've been indoctrinated to think like 50, 10, or 2 is a low pop. The fact is pop is relative to the demand. If you have a J.K. Dobbins number to 10, and it's a pop 3 in a PSA 10, there's only 10 of them. So like 3 is a lot when there's only 10 on the card. But when there's a gazillion Acunas, like relative, it makes sense. So to well, me, I love these cheap assets right now. I'm not chasing big cards. Okay, Brian, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because I've been, I've said it several times over the last year that, you know, look at the Luca Prism Silver base card, PSA 10, whatever the pop is, 15,000. I've always said, you know, there's more than 15,000 people that go watch a basketball game in Dallas and see him play that would love to own that. So I, I agree with you. I think there's more demand or potential demand for that card uh, than, than, than there are cards available. But the, the the retort I always get to that is, yeah, but how many of those people want to spend $1,000 to own that card? So speak to that a little bit. Well, and then, yes, that's true. But there are a lot of people that don't go to the Mavericks game who want to own Luca Prism PSA 10s. They don't live in Dallas and they don't want to waste $800 a seat to watch a mediocre team. You know, a barely playoff team, whatever, you know. So, I mean, some people are just smart and don't want to waste the money on the game. Um, but but with that being said, for me, what that leaves out of the equation, my retort then is, what about the dummies like me who want to own 4,000 Acunas or 10,000 Acunas of the 17,000? So you're not pricing in guys that want to stash and hoard up massive amounts of them because it's so obscenely wrongly priced that – they just believe with everything they own. They'll put all their money they own into it. And there's not many guys that have done, but I'm probably one of them. But do you know, what do you, what, but, but what do you think? Like, so why does somebody need a thousand of these? Even yourself, why do you need a thousand Acunas? Are you the end user or is the plan to eventually dispose of these to final end user and collectors? Like obviously was, you don't you don't want to die with a thousand of these things. It doesn't really matter. It was two twenty-four months ago. And the guy was playing great. Now he got hurt, but it would come down before he got hurt. So what we have right now is we have people overreact. And in January, they overreacted to the upside, no doubt. Some of the prices cards hit were just stupid. But when people overreact, they overreact both directions. Yeah. And so you've got to realize that people overreact on the way up and they overreact on the way down. And if you don't believe me, you turn on the stock market, you see it every day. Yeah. One day, they all love a stock. Then one analyst downgrades it, they all hate the stock. And then the next day, they all love the stock again. Robinhood stock couldn't even, they couldn't even place all the shares. And the share they traded 10, 15% below IPO price for the first three days. Now it's up 50% four days later. Well, was it mispriced then or is it mispriced now? Like sentiment can change in one second. And all it takes is someone smart with vision who can like help people see that. And I'm not saying I'm smart or I have vision, I'm wearing glasses, so who knows? But but like you sometimes have to look and say, Maybe I got over-pessimistic the same way I got over-optimistic. You know what I'm saying? And that's the key, I think, is just to figure out, am I seeing this thing clearly or am I, am I following the sheep? You're just a sheep. If you just sell when, everything's, when everyone's panicking, you buy when everyone's getting overexcited, you might call yourself a momentum investor, but you're really a sheep. You're following the crowd. And most of the money I made in life is zigging when everyone else zags or zagging when everyone else zigs. All right. All right. 
Preach it, preach it, you know. Preach, preach, exactly. All right, I want to say hi to Jake with 90s B-ball cards again. Brent Gardner wants this. Thank you for uh, for the CD uh, explanation. Here's the question, DR. Brian, what do you think is needed to be a successful employee slash teammate at a hobby company like Leaf? The thing is, for the people that are successful in our in our group, it is really acting like it's your money, acting like it's your life on the line. Like to me, it is my money. So if we lose money or make money, I get the benefit or the pain. And when we do something well, people say, Brian, you're a hero. And when we do something badly, people say we're a loser. You know, I'm a loser. And Brian's this. He's a huckster. He's a used car salesman. I think I heard someone say in the chat there, you know, don't buy that car. I'm not telling you to buy it. I'll buy it. And you can just watch it as I drive it around. But, but I mean, that's the point is I think most companies, the people who work there don't care. They, they care, but it's not their money. So like they don't fight for every dollar when they're buying or they don't like fight to make the products perfect. They want them to be good, but like it doesn't hurt them emotionally if a product's bad. Whereas like when I make a product that's not good, I'm crushed. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm a failure. But then we made Pro Set Sports at the National, and a hundred people told me that we crushed it. They said, You're amazing. And I said, It's not me, it's Greg Cohn. Greg was amazing. He made this. It was my idea, but he did it. He executed it perfectly i think and so like but that's a guy who if that product would have failed would have been crushed because he cares that much and so it's very hard to find people like that and that are willing to do whatever it takes to win work however long you have to work on weekends if i call you at 11 at night you answer i call you at seven in the morning you answer because we're brainstorming i'll wake up and i'll have a dream about something i need to make or i'll be in the shower and i'll be thinking why don't i do this so the minute I get out of the shower before I even get dressed, which is a scary sight, I call Greg and say, hey, Greg, what do you think of this? Or Adam, I say, what do you think of this idea? I just came up with it in the shower. Are you that committed? And that's what's hard to find. And I think most companies, they have good employees. I think there's great guys in every company. I just don't know if they live and breathe it. And it's the most important thing to them. I think it's like number four to five on the list, which is good too. Everyone has their priorities. But my team generally live and breathe what we do. An elite victory is a personal victory for them, and a leaf defeat is a serious personal defeat for them. That's good to hear. That's good to hear that they feel that way. Okay, let's keep on going. Lots, lots of comments here. There's, there's a couple doozies in here too. Toa Hang says, consider that if PSA doesn't have a lower cost grading, it will eliminate a large portion of the hobby, which will then go to SGC. Most people do not have the money to buy or grade high end. What do you think of that, Brian? Um, you know what I say? There's a lot of apartments all over the place because the price of housing is so high. But does it mean houses are not the place to be? It just means that people who are very budget conscious go a different direction. I'm telling you, because I do know a lot of guys about a lot of stuff at the National. And I did buy some SGC. I probably spent 30000 bucks on SGC out of 850 And it wasn't for a lack of people bringing it. But like the value proposition is not as strong right now. Maybe that will improve. I think there's still things they can do to improve what they're doing. But I think right now the customer mind is so ingrained in PSA and then to a lesser extent BGS. I just think it's going to be a hard hurdle to cross. The same way BGS, it's a challenge to take on PSA. They're the king. And being number two ain't a bad place to be. But if you're number three, four, five, six, trust me, I have leave. You think I'm going to hurdle over Panini? I don't even have that aspiration. My aspiration isn't to hurdle over tops. 
I'm okay being number three, four, five. Because you know what? I can do a lot of good stuff from there. And so sometimes be happy where you're at and really take advantage of the fact that you're not the guy with your target on the back from everyone. Yeah. You know, that's a big advantage. It's a, it's a good point. It's a good point. SGC or any of the other ups, not any of the upstarts don't need to strive to be PSA. They just need a piece of the pie that uh, helps them run their business and, and allows them to, 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 to have a, a profitable company. Okay. I like this. Criminal Mind says, this guy sounds like a used car salesman. Well, here's the best easy. part. What I'm talking about, I'm not selling you. I'm buying from you. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Next time you go into a car dealership and you say, what do you got to use cars? I don't know. I don't want to sell you anything. Just sell me your car. If you totally. don't know what he's trying to buy from you, then I don't know what to say. I don't I don't want to sell you any cards that are that are slabbed and graded. How about that? Hey, you know, you know, you know, you know how it goes in here, BG. We don't we don't get we, we have 90, 90, I'll say 98% uh, smart comments in this room. He's they're too not, passionate. I'm too passionate. You're too passionate. You're too passionate. Uh, Troy says, I have no problem with SGC slabs in my PC yet, neither That's do right. I. Uh, TW wants to know what I think about card ladders data. That's the next episode, TW. So uh, stick around. We'll start that one in about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, is that an amber ale, BG? Iced tea. Iced tea. Iced tea. Iced tea. Yeah, oh, my yeah, let, let's have a reminder. We got we got we got over 170 people in here right now, guys. Hit the thumbs up if you are not. Oh, I forgot to welcome everybody too. Uh, if you're new to the show, if you're new to Sports Cars Live, welcome, welcome to the show. Please hit the subscribe button in YouTube. Give a thumbs up on the video. What else do YouTubers uh, comment below? All these things, uh, much appreciated. But thank you, Greg, for the reminder. I didn't realize someone put it up above as well. So thank you to those guys. Criminal Mind says, "Sure, buddy." What about the fact that all these cards are being printed like crazy? What's rarer? 83 Tops win or Prism Luca? If you answered, if you answered 83 Tops win, you're out of your mind. Not even close. So any of this stuff that like, and again, in high grade, they're worth a lot of money. So like you've got again, you've got to shift your perspective here. Us running the presses today. It's like the press is breaking down for half a year in 1990. Like, it's not even close. So, like, I, I, again, it's a mental reset, and it's very hard to get your arms around because every table at the National had a stack of these same guys every table. But, I mean, again, I think you have to think about the global demand and the overall interest in these assets and think relative. 83 Top Squint has had 30 years to get distributed. Let's give Prism another two or three before we panic about it not being widely distributed yet. All right, let's keep moving. Filmington says, he quotes, things are never as good as they seem and as they are never as bad as they seem. Rudy Alpha and Rudy from Alpha Investments. Probably true. I mean, you know, it, it's it speaks to what you're saying about, oh, you're overreacting on the upside. The, the hobby's overreacting on the upside and it's overreacting on the downside. Uh, Pete Nay says, was there any love for hockey at the National? So yeah, I, I said earlier today when I did an impromptu uh, this afternoon, but there was not much hockey in showcases. Historically, I've always felt, and I, you know, this is my 13th National, I've always felt that hockey was like anywhere from 5 to 10% or so of the of the show. This time, I don't even think it was 1%, but you know, the, the odd dealer that did have a few hockey cards, it was either Gretzky or Crosby or McDavid or Ovechkin, those kind of guys. The, the, and then the odd uh, vendor that did have a showcase full of them, you know, that's where you had some selection. But what I did hear from a few vendors was that more people were asking for hockey than there was to go around. So I thought that that was encouraging. 
Uh, the collector, if PSA prices to sub are to stay high, I feel SGC will make up ground due to gains in market share, but will never make it to the same price. But I prefer SGC myself for many reasons. Nothing Fair. wrong with preference, but I will say this. There's nothing wrong with rooting for the underdog, but he's an underdog for a reason. And if you bet the underdog every time, you're going to go broke. Ask anyone who hangs at the dog track and is desperate. They'll tell you the underdog doesn't win enough to pay the bills. So you can bet on an underdog. And, I, and honestly, for a PC, I don't care. Honestly, I like CSG a little bit, even though I know people don't like the label. I actually kind of like it a little bit, too. But I actually believe the best value is Beckett because it's priced correctly compared to PSA. But the market, people collect what they want to collect. So PSA is one, Beckett's two, and then the rest are all fighting for the rest. But I do find a lot of value in BGS long term. I think they're priced very attractively for being one of the top two companies. I like the value proposition. Yeah, yeah. What do you what do you think about, you know, there, there's some new grading companies that I've learned about in the last little bit, like four or five of them. Uh, one of them is called Transparent Grading Team, which is looking to be transparent about why they're grading a card the way they are. Uh, you know, whereas people say the PSA, you don't know, you have no idea why you get the grade that you get, and there's no way to find out. You know, you just you just don't get that information. And Nat Turner said, well, to add that would would just it would be too expensive, which I think makes some sense because it would just take more time and more resources. But um, then you have Beckett, which has the subgrades. Now I don't, you know, someone has said to me, well, that's transparency, and I said, well, it's not really transparency because you still don't know why you're getting those subgrades. So what are your thoughts on the transparency of grading, Brian? I mean, listen, I, I admire the fact that Beckett's done subgrades and CSG, CSG does that also. And I, I do think it helps the collector. And honestly, I mean, if I ran one of those companies, would I do subgrades? I probably wouldn't. Because honestly, I think you could improve turnaround time and some of the things if you didn't. But I understand doing it. And I think the collector is really rewarded when they use BGS with subgrades or CSG. I think the subgrades are a reward for collectors. It gives you so much more insight and so much more accountability than just throwing a nine on a slab. Now, with that being said, it has to be priced. I think they should raise prices on some graded cards even more because that requires three or four times the amount of time to grade that you can look at a card and you know, in one second, you say the worst element is centering. Because when you're grading a card with BGS, if you don't use subs, it's pretty easy. You look and say, what's the worst element? Centering's an eight five. The card can't be better than a nine. Is there another eight five? No, it's an eight five or not. It's very easy to grade with no subs, but when you have to go through and say, okay, centering, nine, okay, edges, nine, five, okay, you're talking about a way longer process. And so honestly, I think if I was Beckett, I'd raise the price on subgrades because they're doing an incredible service by sharing that with a customer. I think that's as transparent as you're ever going to see. You're never going to get personalized videos. Although at the price of PSA charges, when you're paying 5,000 to grade up, $100,000 card, you probably should get a video of resident like looking at the card and explaining to you why it got what it got. Yeah. But, but I mean, again, let's don't get, let's don't get crazy here. They're, they got plenty of demand. They don't need my crazy ideas. Uh, Willie T brings up a great point. He says, Brian, you need to buy Jeremy a leaf shirt uh, to wear when, when, when you're the guest, because I'm wearing an upper deck shirt and you're from Leaf. So what do you have to say about that? Like I said earlier, it's okay to root for an underdog. And Jeremy obviously is. <laughs> No, it's okay. Listen, it's all good. You know, I, I love I love people who, you know, buy what well, you like, collect what you like, wear what you like. I'm never going to criticize what you buy. You know, it just you if you like SGC because you love the tuxedo holder, buy it. It's fine. If you want to wear an upper deck shirt, even though 
we're a better company than they are now. Fine, go do that. That's super. What you know? So you had a you had a display at the uh, at the nationals. You've always had Upper Deck didn't have a really a corporate uh, display. They didn't have a setup at the show for the first time that I can ever remember. Um, a couple of their principals were there. Uh, you know, doing having some some uh, presence on the main stage and walking around, and you know, some both some people that have been on my show, uh, great guys, friends of the show. Uh, what 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 did you think about the fact that they did not have a corporate presence at the show for people to come into their display and talk to the staff? Well, first, I'll tell you, when you see Leaf next year, our corporate presence will be much bigger. We didn't think there was going to be a show. I plan to go bigger and finally do the national in a big way because we always have kind of a smallish booth, kind of low key. We're going to invest a bunch of money and do it in a bigger way in, in 22. Um, so first off, we didn't think there was going to be a show. I'm still shocked we had a show. I mean, you want to talk about low pop? How about people wearing masks in that show? That's yeah, a low good, pop. Good point. Yeah. I mean, that was rarer than PSA 10 Jordans almost. I mean, there were hardly any masks there. Um, yeah. But with that being said, we didn't think – so we didn't even have the presence I'm happy with. I wanted to have a bigger presence. Disappointed they didn't set up, but – you know, listen, it's not my job. Listen, I'll take a fun jab at him about your shirt and then that, and, and random acts of kindness. That's all. I'll take jabs at those things because they're fun to pick on. But, you know, overall, generally, it's not my job. I'll focus on Leaf and keep doing a great job. They have to figure out if they want to be there with the collector and interact in a meaningful way. I think they probably did in some limited capacity, which is good. You know, but for me, it's more important to talk to people all day, every day and try to understand what people think about our products, what we can do better. And hopefully spend a million dollars while we're there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I love upper deck cards. I've been collecting them for a long time. And, uh, and, but I, I thought it was, I thought I was disappointed that they weren't there. I thought that was the, the wrong move, but, uh, but Hey, I don't run the company. So what do I know? Josh Dawson. It was awesome seeing you at the national as well. Brian been a while, but happy to see you again. There you go. Thank you. Uh, Josh Dawson. Uh, yeah. Great to see you, man. Uh, super bad. Did Brian buy any super high end cards? He bought the one uh, SGC. No, nothing super high end. I think super high end. I, I actually saw some liquidity issues there. I didn't see people walking around dropping 50K, 100K on cards everywhere. Because the fact was, the celebrity buyers that could have been at the national, most of them were not there because of COVID. And the billionaire type buyer would rather buy it from Golden Auctions than buy it at the show because they can do it at arm's length. Most billionaires are not going to walk around the show towing a little briefcase with, you know, a million bucks in it to buy big cards. You're just not doing that. Yeah. There are some big buyers there, but I think the biggest nosebleed buyers would rather do it from home, especially in a COVID environment. One million Cubs project with a great take. Criminal mind, more like criminal bad takes. Can't disagree with that one. Michael Ham says, does Brian think PSA grades better or is it their value because the collectors pay the most for it? I feel PSA is not superior in any way other than what they sell for. BGS and SGC have elite 10 labels. I mean, I listen, I think PSA does. I think all these companies, I think SGC does. I think they all do a good job. I really do. Now, again, I do think Beckett probably has the highest level of accountability with subgrades. And so I, I put some extra value on that, no doubt. But again, it's not about, and I saw someone made a comment, which you'll get to in a minute. Someone said over there, um, sounds like Brian say, buy the holder, not the card. Yeah, someone said awesome. that. And that's not what I'm saying, because, again, I'm going to give you a whole spiel about raw cards and how there's extraordinary value in raw cards because no one can grade. That if you have a good eye and you have the money to hold, you can do really good, you know? Pokey fan, thank you very much. Greatly appreciate that flattering comment. 
Pokefan says when he says PSA down to 50, does he think that's quarterly special price or economy? Yeah, what do you mean when you say pricing down to 50? I just don't think there's going to be $20 pricing anytime in the near future. But when you say 50, do you mean like economy? Bulk I think it costs you 50 bucks to grade a card at whatever the slowest service is. And the slowest service could be six months, could be two months. I don't know what it's going to be. But the quantity they have is not going to unwind instantly. And the fact is you don't want it to. Because for it to unwind fast, you're going to get either nine to death like you are right now, or you're going to have machines grading your cards and then the whole jigs up because machines are going to crush you. The fact that human beings grade your cards is the only hope you have because if, mach if machines really use numbers and science to do it, you'd be screwed. Yeah, but, you, but, but, human, but humans can set the parameters still, right? Humans can still set the parameters of, of what- You trust a machine to kick it out? Not me, sir. I want humans looking at my cards if I want decent grades. Machines are perfect more perfect and i don't think any of us want to be judging cardboard and paper with that level of precision even if you set the tolerances a little bit looser i like the human element i like the human element and humans make mistakes but i think if you grade cards you're not going to be happy if machines do it if you buy graded cards you might be happy but if you if you grade cards you're not going to be happy if machines do it because i don't believe the machines even with a wider tolerance when we look at a card, like I look at a card, I have a gut instinct when I see a card. And this is why centering is so important for eye appeal. Because it's just when that card is centered and looks good, that 52 mantle with a pinhole, like the pinhole is not the first thing I see when that card is perfectly centered. When it just looks right otherwise, you know, and to me, there's a machine that's going to have a hard time getting eye appeal. And getting, like, when that color is really bold versus okay, you know, the machine just doesn't get that, that feeling that we get. And the buyer who buys the card in the holder has that same feeling. Even if you're buying the card and not the plastic, you still see the card. And when it has the right eye appeal, that's what makes us so enamoring to some of us is we feel something when we see cards. Either memories or, or just a passion for beauty or art, or whatever it is you see, I think there's something there. And I don't want to lose that. And I think people are the best judge of that, you know? All right. Good, good, good. Jake agrees that BGS is an incredible value right now. Sean Robb, do you think many people are rotating out of modern basketball and into modern football, soccer, and hockey? I think a little bit, but I think a part of I mean, again, that's why basketball is where most of the money I'm pouring in is probably going. I mean, at this stage, I don't see how you don't buy John Morant's and Zions. I don't see it. I think Lucas are too cheap. Again, I'm probably the only person in the world that thinks that. I think Lucas, I think Trey Young is too cheap. I think Jason Tatum's too cheap. There's a whole mess of guys that are too cheap. You know, and then if you want to go back and buy vintage, 86, 87 is now back to affordable pricing. You know, Jordan's maybe 300, but Barclays are eight for a PSA 10, 8,000. I'd rather have 40 Barclays than one Jordan. I'm an idiot, but I'd rather have 40 Barclays than one Jordan. And so there's a lot of value to be found in basketball. And the fact that people are rotating out, that's like, that's what you want to have happen. When things go on sale at the store, isn't that when you want to buy or do you want to wait till they mark it up? Like there's a chip shortage now, so cars are 15% higher. Do you really want to buy now or would you like them to lower the price back down? Then you can buy them. If you believe in the thesis, buy them cheaper, right? I mean, it makes total sense. 
All right, let's keep on going. Fire says, hey, Jeremy, met Brian at the show. Didn't buy anything from me, but seemed to me, seemed to be a pretty fair guy. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Filmington says, subgrades is equivalent to attribution and granularity. Great for consumer, especially for modern, where more granularity is needed, but it's not very scalable for graders with the additional time effort required. Makes sense to me. True. Makes sense. Deland wishes the PSA had a live fee, 10 to $20 a month fee for the grading floor. And so a question when your cards are being graded, you can tune in. Ah, sorry, I don't really follow that one very well. That's okay. Any truth to the rumor that Top Spot discounted? What? <laughs> That's a good what? one. <laughs> what? I saw something about marijuana-laced cardboard, and I just don't think I've Back ever up. heard that before. Any truth to the rumor that Top Spot discounted marijuana-laced cardstock from Mexico in the 80s to produce the first leaf cards? <laughs> Brian, Bob what can you say to that? I used to love Big Boy when I was a little kid, too. We had one down the street. It was pretty pretty edible. Okay, Michael Hams talks about Transparent Grading. That is a company. Trans, they're called Transparent Grading Team. Uh, says uh, He says it's interesting because they're telling and showing you how they do something, and we're all wondering when everybody else does something that adds value. Yeah, what they're doing is they're actually showing you. You, you get a QR code on the back of the card. You scan it. It takes you to a, a, a pictures of your card with like little red circles and squares around all the flaws that they spotted, which I think is very transparent. So, but it's human, it's human, it's done by humans. Uh, so I think it's the best of both worlds, perhaps. Uh, Adventures with Troy, BG take the, BG days, does it take much longer to do subgrades and put on a slab? Is PSA not grade the same with centering corners? How difficult would it be to put it on a PSA label? Well, that's a whole, that, that, that that's more difficult than you'd think to actually change your whole your whole um, setup to to add subgrades onto the label, I believe. What do you think, Brian? But I think honestly, when PSA, I think most PSA graders are like most Becky graders, any of these companies. I think if you got rid of subs, and they probably do this at PSA and SGC, you look at a card and you know. And yes, you're not calculating each subgrade, but in your head, when you see that centering or you see that imperfection on the front of the card, you pretty much know where the card's going to grade because even if you don't put subgrades, you're thinking. If that card's centered like a six, how high can you really grade the card? Can you really make it an eight? I don't think so. If it's got six centering, it's a six, six, five, or seven. That's kind of the wheelhouse, you know, in, in my head. So I think a grader can look at it and instantly know. Look at the centering. Look at the edges. Look at the corners. And they use that bottom baseline to easily assign a grade based on the strength of the other elements. And you can do that with a quick glance. You know, I don't know how long grading companies take looking at these cards. I don't want to speculate, but I think if they took five minutes a card, you would never get a single card back and the price would be way higher than it is now. So it's probably less than that, but I think they can do it much faster. Some grades are a beating, I think. I, I admire BGS for really taking a shot to stick with that and not give up on it. To Troy's comment, though, obviously, you know, PSA certainly goes through a checklist of different attributes that they have to assess. So they are looking at all these sub, all these subs but they're just not putting them on the label and telling us about them. That is that or that is the hobby's big. I don't think they're assigning a sub to each. I think they just do a mental bing, 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 bing. And it's like a, there's a mental checklist and they say that's an eight. That's a nine. That's yeah, a could be. Could be for sure. For sure. Uh, okay. I wanted to bring this one up. Michael Ham says a machine can grade corner centering and edges, but surface still has to be done by a person. I don't think a machine can do that. I think I think we I think I think we're gonna get there. I used to believe the same thing, but I think we're gonna get there. Uh, Superbad says, "Why are the big sports card shows always located in the eastern part of the U.S.?" And I'll say because that's where the people live. 
who are organizing them. Simple as that. You, if, if anyone doesn't like where they are, start your own show. Well, it's also the origins of the hobby. The origins of the hobby was the East Coast. Yeah, and so that's where most collectors, there's more collectors there because that was the origins of the hobby. There's lots of hobby activity in California. And we're seeing a lot of regional shows in California. Lots, lots of content being uh, covering those as well, for sure, for sure. Okay, uh, let's see here. We got, wow, lots lots of comments. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to look to my notes for a moment, Brian. So, you know, the the national itself, we've heard we've heard your thoughts on that. What about the rest of the What about the rest of the year? Like, what do you see coming now, from now till the end of the year in terms of obviously the national reinvigorated a lot of people. I think it reinvigorated the hobby. Where do you see the next uh, four months going? Yeah, you know, I mean, listen, I can tell you, I mean, you've heard my used car salesman accused spiel about how I think we've seen the bottom now. But I think, honestly, I mean, what's exciting to me is there's so many opportunities. And I know when we talk about spending $800,000 at a show, like someone mentioned in the comments, like they can't relate to that. But the beauty of our hobby is there's ways to invest at every or collect with value in mind at every level. The fact is, you can buy raw prism with some guys for four or five dollars that are decent cards. You can buy PSA 10 Tyler Harrods if you want to gamble at 50, 60 bucks. That's probably a phenomenal gamble here. He's been left for dead. That's probably a phenomenal gamble. Yeah. But so that's a $50 card that easily could be 150, 175, 200. So you can 3x $50 the same way you can 3x 300. You know, so the idea that you don't have to, and if you don't like slabs, you don't have to collect slabs. This is the best time ever to buy raw. Like for the first time, you can actually buy nice cards that have not been submitted for grading. Yeah, for true. the first time in years. Because for the last three years, every card sitting in a showcase that's been out for more than two weeks, you know that thing's been eyeballed to death. And if it was going to be graded, it probably would be. It's very hard to go pick PSA 10s and BGS 95s are better at a showcase is raw. So if you're a collector or an investor, it's the best time ever to buy because there's now more things available to you than there were before. So I think it's exciting to know that prices have reset, come down off the highs. But the good news is you've now seen what's possible. You've now seen that an 8900 Griffey PSA 10 can be 3000 or 2500 And you've seen that a BGS 95 Griffey can be 1400 So look at where they are now and say, there's a value opportunity. And we've now seen what's possible. We're buying at the lower end of the 52-week range now. That's pretty interesting to me. So I think that stuff's all exciting, and it, it makes me bullish as heck. And again, I think the manufacturers are not overprinting new products. Yes, there's a lot of some prism base cards or top flagship, whatever. But as a whole, the amount of wax out there is not that crazy. The amount of production is not that crazy. And manufacturers really can't print much more because of autograph and game used restraints. All right. I'm bullish. You're bullish. I love it. I love it. All right. Michael Ham wants to thank us both for coming on, taking the tough questions. Uh, appreciate that, Michael Ham. Toa Hang also appreciates the transparency and genuine discussion so far. Thank you, Toa Ham. Greatly appreciate that. Uh, TB12 wants to know, do you think Tom Brady is uh, still a good buy, Brian? My favorite player. He's not cheap. I think there's probably better. Don't tell him because he's my favorite player, but I think there's probably better investments. He's probably watching, so you just he, yeah, he probably is. When he heard I was on, I'm sure him and Giselle are like snuggled up in bed watching. But um, but I think realistically, I think he falls in that category we talked about earlier. If you buy Brady or Jordan or any other goat, long term you're gonna be fine. It's just the price of poker is a lot higher. 
If you're a guy with a $50 budget, it's very hard to invest in Brady. It just is. It's like Berkshire stock. You can't even buy one share unless you have a certain amount to play with. So that's the that's the challenge. And I think there are probably better buys, but he's he's safe money. You buy him, you're going to be fine. It'll just be like a slow growth stock, you know? Well, similar question here from PSA Slab Guy. What do you think of values on vintage football compared to vintage baseball? Different markets, but football seems cheap. It seems cheap, but the demand is less. And so you have to know that there's way less supply, but there's way less demand. I didn't see anyone walking. I mean, maybe there were people walking around the show looking for second, third, and fourth year BART stars graded. But there were a lot of people looking for 53, 54, 55 mantles and 53, 54, 55 Mays and 56, 57 Kofaxes and high grade. You know, it seems like in baseball there's just so much more demand. But I do think if you pick out key rookies, I still think there's some real values there in football. I really do. Yeah. Okay. Good answer. Here's a question from Toa for you. We often get concerns of why card products have recently been so poorly made. What do you believe has attributed to this and what can actually be done to improve this? I think what he's talking about is cards out of the pack, not, you know, people want their people genuine, genuine. I think they generally think that a card out of the pack should grade a PSA 10, a BGS 9.5 or better. Uh, and they simply haven't been recently. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First off, technology now is definitely more advanced than it's ever been. And you guys, you don't want just paper. Yes, you'll take some paper, but you want like shadow boxes and immaculate. You want, you know, 50 different colors of refractors with 50 different whatevers. And, you know, you want, I mean, we want some advancement in technology. With that comes print. We're dealing with paper still. It's amazing. If you open even vending boxes from the 80s or 70s, you want to see some quality issues. Open one of those. You can get one where every card is centered 80 20 and you're ready to hang yourself. The quality in the old days was terrible compared to now. I think the quality is good. The only difference is we look at it with a 20 times loop now. Trying to figure out if it's a BGS 10 or a PSA 10 or an SGC, whatever, gold label, whatever it's called. You know, that's the problem is we expect perfection. And I have to talk to customers every day and I'm like, you understand if a card grades an 8.5, I understand it's not a nine or a nine, five or a 10. And you're probably not tickled about that, but it's an eight freaking five. Like that's okay to me. Even an eight should be okay. Even though it's a dreaded white label for Beckett or it's a PSA eight. Oh my God. Newman to men is good enough when you're talking about paper. Is it the best? No, but that's why the best is worth more. Yeah. And the fact that we don't make every card an eight. Now I'll tell you what we do. And I think some other companies could, could do this also is we try not to put dark borders on the back of the cards, especially when they're thick cards, because you know that when you cut those, how many times have you opened a high-end box that's $1,000 a box, and the back corners chip a little bit? Yeah. Why put a black border on a card that's this thick that you're using a guillotine to cut? It's not going to cut right. You're going to have corner issues, and you're going to pull cards that are a seven out of the pack. But again, even if you make them white, at least that card might grade an eight because it hides it better. It's not the eyesore. But the fact is, again, do you want ultra thick cards that have sneakers in them and stuff? You're not going to expect nine fives and tens on that. You're going to have to give up on that. And I think we just have to be real. This is paper, you know. I'm going to skip to the very to the very last, the most recent comment that's come in from Georgetown Vintage. Do you have any interest in possibly selling Leaf? If yes, I will give you all my Acunas. Unfortunately, if you had the entire pop of the top five Acuna cards, that probably wouldn't do it. But I appreciate the, the interest for sure. I think, listen, I, as I told Jeremy pre-show, 
I think every company in this industry that is highly profitable, and you can determine what you think highly profitable means, every one of them is in play right now. And if they're not, it's only because the owner doesn't want to sell. That's it. But I can tell you, every company that you're familiar with in this business has either had a top to acquire or be acquired in the last year. Every company that you know and love in this industry that's bigger than your LCS, the next level up from LCSs, every internet retailer, every the biggest breakers, the distributors, the manufacturers, the supply manufacturers, the grading companies, the autograph authenticators, every one of them has had people try to buy them or they're trying to buy other people. Every one of them. So there's tons of interest out there. But again, it's got to be the right deal. It's like anything else in life. Almost anything's for sale if the price is right. So, you know, would we sell Leaf? We might do that if the price is right. Or if it is happening, the price will be right, obviously. But I think I think there's a lot of companies in play right now. I think you're going to hear a lot of deals coming in the next six months. A lot. Not two or three. A lot of sales are about to go down. Well, you just answered what was going to be my question. Do you think we're going to see more M&A throughout the rest of the year? And you uh, obviously do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to, I want to bring up uh, Charles's question here. Uh, he said he's heard from national reporting that buyers were paying 65 to 70% comps for bigger items. I think he means vendors, setup vendors. Not sure if that's true. Does that mean the new real price is 70% of comps and downward pressure, or do you just get better pricing at live shows? I, I think what you're hearing, Charles, is that vendors were, were paying 65 to 70, not the buyers walking the floor. Buyers pretty much pay comps, maybe a little bit less to, to make up for the, the eBay fees that sellers would pay because people seem to think that everything is sold on eBay, which it's just not anymore. But in any event, um, you know, vendors are always going to pay lower than comps because that's what they sell for. So it's, uh, I think you're just talking, really you're talking about wholesale versus retail in there. So we'll but I will say this. Most of the great cards I saw at the show, nothing sold at 70%. You paid more than that if you wanted good stuff. Good stuff was 80 to 90%, which is at, about what you get on eBay. At, Brian, at wholesale? I'm saying like when someone walked up to your table, if they had really good stuff, there's no way you're buying that at 70 so wholesale. First off, if they were, I would have spent ten million at the show. They weren't doing that. Really good stuff was costing you eighty to ninety. More regular stuff could be sixty-five to eighty. There was way more at eighty than sixty-five. I can tell you that. Yeah. yeah. Here's a kind of an off-topic uh, type of question. Any thoughts on the value of tickets and other memorabilia? Sure. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the business is that there's so much different things. So many different things to collect, invest, whatever. And again, that goes to what I said earlier. I zig and zag mainly in the card space with an occasional foray in the autograph space. But it, I mean, guys like Darren Ravel have done really well speculating on tickets and things. There's really, that's, a, that's an interesting place to be. And if you're willing to zag that far while everyone else is zigging in this more narrow range, you might be rewarded for it. You just have to know the liquidity of tickets is not like cards. You walk into the National, there's six guys that will buy them instead of 600. Let's go on. Here's a question. DR, what are your thoughts on the fractional movement? I mean, the entire stock market is based on fractional ownership. Now, I'm not a huge fan of it, but anytime an asset is too expensive for you to acquire, even the people who talk to us about the future of maybe investing in LEAF or buying LEAF, if they don't buy 100% of it, to some extent, they're doing fractional ownership. So like even on big deals, there's elements of fractional ownership. So I don't have a problem with it fundamentally, 
I do think it has helped fuel some of the prices of nosebleed cards. And if that category had not come into the business, I think some of those ultra nosebleeds would probably be like, you know, minor nosebleeds, you know, they wouldn't be quite the same level of craziness, but Hey, I love anything that allows people to enjoy investing, collecting, whatever it is they do cards. And if that Luca logo, man, one-on-one rookie flawless, whatever it is, you're never going to own it. And if you think about it, when we make a back card of Babe Ruth, we're doing fractional ownership. We're allowing a collector, think about it. We're allowing a collector to have a piece of a Babe Ruth game news bat that he could not afford or would not be able to buy or doesn't know how to buy otherwise. So we're creating a way for people to do that. It makes total sense. We make a print run of 25. We don't make one guy buy them all. It's 25 people own the print run. Yeah. So if you think about it in that kind of broad terms, it's it's not hard to like fundamentally be okay with it. Makes sense. If you're okay with me cutting up a Babe Ruth bat, you can't have a problem with them letting people share ownership in a Luca. I mean, for real, it's more it's more obscene that we cut a Ruth bat up. No doubt about it. That's obscene compared to fractional ownership. Yeah. No. Ma- makes sense. I have no issues with fra- with the fractional movement. I think I think it, it's a natural evolution of the hobby, and you know. Assets have been fractionalized for for decades and decades, so it makes a lot of. And I worked in in in, uh, in fractional ownership of land for six years uh, in the early 2010s, and uh, it was a very successful company. Michael Ham says, "Why is the print run on base such a secret for manufacturers? Why do you think they never tell us this?" Well, first off, I mean, listen, I think there's some value to mystery, and I know me and Carvin Chung talk about this all the time. There's some value to people, even when things are truly rare, we don't tell the print run sometimes. And like in contenders, they always had short prints that you never knew the production of because there's value in the mystery of it sometimes. But everybody is freaking out because they think there's 30,000 Zion prisms when everything's said and done in PSA 10. You think they're going to freak out if they think there's half a million Zion prisms? When Connor McDavid Young Guns be 2,500 in PSA 10 or 3,000 if you knew that they printed a million of them because they might have. Like, do you really want to know the print run of Young Gun McDavid's? You might not be as bullish on the card if you knew the print run, but some people can't, it's like the government has to not tell us everything. Like there's certain things you don't need to know. You need to see what the, rel- you need to decide for yourself if you believe that the print run is, is, is swallowable. And is I, this- I understand. I understand the argument for knowing everything, but I don't think they have, they don't tell you every, every item you buy at a grocery store, how many loaves of bread they made or how many, you know, they don't tell you everything. They'll tell you how many, how many hundred dollar bills they printed that year. These things don't, they don't tell you these things. So Brian, determined. you, you bought, you buy a lot of Acunas. You're happy not knowing how many there are. You think you'd be buying less Acunas if you knew how many they printed? I wouldn't, I wouldn't because I think people are personally, I think when people get hung up on these print runs, it, it to me, it's a lack of vision. And it's okay. I could be wrong. But I think it's a lack of vision when you make judgments based on a very narrow set of facts without thinking about, like, there's so many, like, components to, like, logic. Like, what's the demand? What is the demand like overseas? How many people want to hoard big positions? You know, if it's a J.K. Dobbins prism, I don't think that many people are buying up hundreds of them. Not picking on J.K. Dobbins. I've said his name three times, but I'm just picking a guy that's not that's not Joe Burrow. You know, how many guys are going to do that? But if we're talking about Zion, 
a lot of guys are going to hoard up a lot. It's not going to matter the volume. So, again, to me, I think part of it is I don't think we have to tell everyone the entire print run. Sometimes you can figure it out from the wrapper on tops. You can figure out how many of each card were printed. Good for you. I think long term, if you knew how many Young Gun McDavid's there were, the whole Young Gun thing would be blown up. Because the amount of Young Guns printed is staggering. The amount of flagship tops is pretty high. There's big numbers. But I still argue that Amanda's higher, and the proof is McDavid Young Guns. They trade for a premium price despite the fact there's probably half a million or more of them. They still trade at premium prices. Half a million? Who cares? There's at least half a million of that card. At least. At least. Come on. Wager? Can you get up and tell us? No, they will not tell us. I'll put 50 grand on over 500,000. We'll never find out. You think about how many different SKUs they made, but it doesn't matter. Because even that number that sounds so obscene, it's still a very desirable card that people want. And that's why you got to quit thinking like – everyone's got to quit thinking like these numbers are so absolute. 10,000 is too much. Brian, hold on. I just have to talk to the audience for a second. If anyone out there is from Upper Deck and you could quickly text me and let me know if there are more or less than 500,000 McDavid's made, just send me a quick text message. And I'll withdraw the bet if he gets one. (laughs) And let me make this – let me take uh, Brian's wager, please. I can make a quick 50 large here. Thank you, Upper Deck. Um, Okay. Let's. Uh, I want to bring up a couple comments here. Rock Latex says, if you open up a vending box of 83 tops, you'll see why the Gwyn to Luca print run comparison was ridiculous. I think he's saying that, you know, that, that print runs today are no larger than they were back in the 80s. Uh, and then I want to bring up uh, this comment right here from Card Porn in the House. It says, hey guys, what does Brian think about Upper Deck and Arena Designs getting back together to remake Precious Metal Gems, Jambalize, etc. with college uniforms? I love those classic designs. I really do. And, and again, you know, I've had a loss. I'm in a lawsuit with Upper Deck, but I have a lot of friends there. And I'll tell you, I think some of the things they do are really good. They really do good. Um, and I think I think bringing back some of these classic designs, isn't that what I'm doing with Leaf and Pro Set? I'm, 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 what's old is new again. And these are classic brand. These are classic inserts they have. Of course, you should be bringing them back and doing something. What took you so long? Better late than never. Well, just for the record, Upper Deck has been using these designs. They're not the same, though. Well, they they were pretty good. I mean, I I, I have I collect a lot of them. I, I I like a lot of them personally. But that said, bringing back Gene McLeod from Arena Designs uh, to work for to work with Upper Deck on new designs and and reinvigorating the old ones again in her style, I think that's really what what the question is. And you know. I, I think it's personally, I think it's great. As far as being uh, college uniforms, I've already heard people say that it's about, this is a becoming about the designer more than just the uniform. People want Jean McLeod cards. So the fact that she's there, it's we've never seen something like that before. No one ever cared who the designer was behind the card, Brian, until Arena Designs be, came out, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. So I, I think it's awesome. And as a hockey collector, I collect everything, as I've always said, but, you know, I do collect hockey quite a bit. I think we're the luckiest pool of collectors right now to have uh, the the greatest all-time sports card designer back in the fold. I don't know. Again, don't know if it's the greatest all-time sports designer. I will tell you that most of these things are mimicable. And they've been mimicking it for years pretty well, like you just said, pretty well. Yes. Does the, do people like the Tommy Hilfiger with Tommy in the tag or Ola Cassini or whatever brand you like? I mean, uh, uh, pick your pick your high-end brand? Sure. Can you make something look like Tiffany without it being Tiffany? Sure. But if you buy labels, 
go for it. I think that's awesome. But I think you can mimic those. And they've done a decent job mimicking them. And if they can make them even better, I love it. Anything that helps grow the category and makes people feel good about cards and reminds them of the old days, I'm supportive, whether it's Upper Deck, Panini, me, Tops, anybody. I love anything that helps grow the base by bringing back and evoking those memories. And if this does that, more power to it. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Kyle Brown, I could listen to Brian talk cards all day. Such a great perspective. Colin Murray wants to know, do you think are Kobe rookie cards going to rebound or sell now? Um, I mean, it depends. I think if you're buying Chrome, as long as they're not turning into incredible Hulk refractors, you're probably okay. If they're not greening. If you're buying finest, I think finest is probably undervalued. Flagship tops, I think there's a ton sitting at PSA. I think there's a lot. That was a card that started exploding when the final submissions were coming in. And I think there's a massive amount of tops, base, tops, base Kobe's there. That card is still vulnerable, I think. But I think, again, he's not going to do anything anymore. And I'm not making jokes or anything, but his, his, his stuff is in the books. He's phenomenal. He still doesn't have the Jordan. I think he's a step below Jordan and LeBron in terms of when people talk goats, I think he's like goat minus versus them as goats. And that's still great. Being the third best is pretty good. But that's the question, really. I mean, yes, I think this stuff's very safe here. I like the levels. The only card I don't like is top space. I think that's a bad card to buy right now. It's been continually going down, and I don't see a floor for that in the near future. I think that can lose half its value from here pretty easy still. The fact, you know, the fact that he's passed away and the way in which he did, it all it kind of just adds to his legendary status, his iconicism, and uh cements him as somebody that you know people are always gonna be emotional when it comes to Kobe oh. because of the family he left behind and passing away with his daughter. And you see, and you see it in autographs with Heath Ledger and River Phoenix and James Dean and Marilyn Monroe, people who died too young. There's always this aura about it. That's extraordinary. That, that he, makes it may, special. He may be he may be goat minus as far as you know on the court goes, but as far as the hobby goes, I mean he's loved. He's almost loved, universally yeah. loved. Yeah, not not Jordan level. Uh, he's more loved. He's more loved than LeBron. Just LeBron is probably better. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Makes Troy says so. PSA and Panini could merge. Well, they'd never merge. They're two completely different businesses, but they they could come under the same common ownership group. But I think the word on the street is that uh, A-Rod SPAC is going to acquire Panini. That's Those are the rumors going around that have been for quite some time right now. Uh, Georgetown Vintage, uh, thank you for answering a question there, Brian. Great meeting with the National Real Class Act. Thank you. Charles Smith, thanks for the, uh, the buying question answer. You are welcome. Triple V, really great discussion. I agree with Brian's assessment of the current market and deals. Stay in your comfort zone financially and have fun collecting. There's a 100%. Great don't mortgage your house or borrow money to buy cards. And I know guys that have. What do you hold on? What do you mean don't borrow money to buy cards? I did that at the national. I had no, to not, not, like, not borrowing for a few weeks. I'm talking, I know guys that have taken home equity loans to buy. Yeah. And as much as I am bullish that almost everything is an easy buy here, Gary V, one thing he says that I totally agree with is you should be investing money that you can afford to lose if it goes south. You really should. Now, with that being said, you know, I think you can be aggressive without being irresponsible. And that goes for anything, whether you're buying NFTs, cards, crypto, stocks, anything. 
Okay. Do you have quick answer on this? Do you invest in any non-sport cards, Brian? Um, very little, but there's some stuff I'm kind of eyeballing. Okay. There's and a few you, cards I think have a chance of really going up here. Did you buy any hockey at the national? Absolutely. I think, I think, again, I've come around, I, if you know, for a while I was cautious. I've come around. I've been buying some young guns of certain guys. I bought some Patrick Wall, Peaches. I bought, I bought a few things and I'm trying to buy right now, McDavid cups. That's the card I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm going to target and try to buy five or 10 of those. I don't know how easy that's going to be. But I think I'd like to own five or ten of those. I think it's a good card. They're in they're in some stone hands, I'll tell you that. Logan Ward, welcome to the show. Been at a party, just got home to tune in to my boy Jeremy. Glad to have you as always, Logan Ward. Toa Hanks says the carbon chung equals Yoda. Yeah, when, when carbon speaks, people listen. He is a wealth of knowledge for sure. They don't tell you what's in hot dogs and bologna either in reference to... Who wants to see how the sausage is made? Exactly. In reference to print runs. That's in reference to print runs. Tristan Lee could listen to Brian all day. So much knowledge and explains everything in layman terms. I agree. That's a great, great point, Tristan. Thank you for that one. Uh, Billy, does it matter how many US dollars they print? Numbers matter. Numbers Do you know matter. how many they printed? I mean, because really, if you think about it, paper money is like trust and faith in the United States. I mean, if you think about it, I think I think I feel better about the amount of cards made than the amount of money made. The good news is everybody accepts money as currency, and we're still working on converting people into believing cards are currency. But we're making headway. That's a good start. Troy says, "Now you're making Jeremy upset. He's loaded with McDavid RCs. I'm not. I have one. I have one Connor McDavid Young Guns uh, to my name, uh, and I think that's. I might have one other rookie card, but that's pretty much all I have. Certainly not loaded with them." Uh, but, but I still don't think there's half a million of them either. I do not think there is. Uh, Brian, is there going to be a Leaf Vault coming in the near future? Uh, no, we're not making Vault, but I believe Break King is going to make a Vault, and I'm helping him buy items for that. So it'll look a lot like mine, but I think Break King is going to take that over. We just, we've gotten too busy and too big making our own products to really focus on too many of these like smaller offshoot products. We're having to really focus on the big picture. Can I give a breaking news? I bought the only card I bid on in Golden tonight. I just won. Nice. And it's one of my number one buys in the whole hobby. And I now own a handful of them, but it's 93 SP Jeter PSA 9. I just bought the one in Golden for 10,200, including juice. And I like that. Like that card was 30,000 four months ago. And I bought it for 10,2. That's like congrats. That gets me hot. Woo! <laughs> We're making money. Woo! I feel like we're right. there. All right. Uh, here, let's go to this. Mike Wick makes a comment. He says, I'm not concerned with populations. Even though there could be 10,000 PSA 10s of a card, there may only be 100 up for sale with thousands of people bidding on them and people like me and Brian hoarding. Ha ha. Yep. Uh, Troy, I'm so with that. Troy completely agrees. I said the same thing to PFD on Off Centered. On Thursday, that's personal finance dad, Dustin and Brad's show. BG as a guest equals instant classic episode. Got to agree with that. Michael Ham says, Kobe will slowly go up over time. The main group of people bought the ones they wanted, and the big ones will always be big money. I think a lot of people got caught at the top of the Kobe run. Fair. That's Game fair. Time says, only a fraction of collectors actually send cards in for grading. That's an interesting take. Only a fraction. Well, 99% is a fraction. I'm not saying that what it is. that's what it is, but just picking on the words. So the actual population of a card is many multiples more than what PSA or other another grading company represents in its pop report. Uh, do you agree with that comment, Brian? Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of cards. I mean, there's cards out there. If there's 18,000 yeah. Lucas or 15,000 Lucas, there's probably 
400,000 Lucas in the, in the world. But again, I'm going to tell you that I don't think that's a big number when the, when the demand for product is so strong. And trust me, if the demand was way, way, way lower, these things would have already crashed and been dead. There's plenty of money ready to sweep up. If you don't believe, sell your stuff. There's plenty of buyers waiting for it. Come Could on. You'll buy it. Well, you I'll buy it? some stuff, but there's plenty of guys with more money than me or a lot of money who'll buy stuff. Guys, we have over uh, 210 people in the room right now. Welcome, everybody. I know we're uh, we're already well underway, but if you got here late, uh, you know, hit that thumbs up button. Subscribe to the channel, guys. I bring you great interviews every Saturday night. Give a subscribe. Let's pump those numbers up and uh, build this community. I'm grateful for every single one of you. I want to welcome Canadian Cards Mike to the show. Great discussion, guys, and great meeting. It was great to meet you at the show as well, fellow Canadian. Superbad says, if that if the Kobe PSA 10 turns green, what should be the new grade? What do you think about that, Brian? Should the grade change? Not that it can unless you send it back. Well, no, and you know what? How many times have you seen 70s tops cards that are faded in PSA 10 holders? I see it. Where like 80, uh, 85 top, uh, 75 tops Brett, let's say, will be in a nine holder. But you can tell it's gotten some exposure to sun, and the card will be much lighter than the crisp green and purple you're used to seeing on that card. You know, that happens all the time, I think. Um, so, yes, now I think, I think here's someone said earlier, am I saying buy the holder, not the card? Well, no, this is a great example. You got to be like green, silver, colorblind, not to see when Kobe looks like Lou Ferrigno. So, like, <laughs> you got you can see the green. And if someone's selling that card, you got to punish them for the fact that – but it's almost like when you see a pool host rookie auto. How many of those have faded away and you still see them in 9 and 10 holders? Yeah. And the autographs disappeared. And guess what? Do you pay full price for that? No, because you have eyes. And at some point, obvious imperfections – or, like, if I see a card where I see in the holder, I know that card's been trimmed and it made it in a holder – I'll just pass on the card, even though it's in a holder that says nine, because I can tell I've done this long enough. I can tell the card is short. So like you still look at a card, but tie goes to the runner when the card's in a slab. That's how I kind of look at it. If it's close, tie goes to the runner if the card's in the slab. If it's raw, you're out. I'll pass just to be safe. Yeah. All right. Criminal mind. Interesting take. The fact anyone can pull $50,000 out of a hobby box is why this hobby is thriving and full of so many young people right now. Nothing else. I mean, wow. I think, I, I, hold on. I think there's a bit of a point there. The only thing is that not anyone can pull a $50,000 card of a hobby box. You have to be able to afford that hobby box in the first place. But That's a $3,000 hobby box usually. Right. Not everybody can afford that. But so people that can are doing it, of course. But nothing. What do you think, Brian? What, what's your take on well, that? Well, I would say nothing else. I mean, it's like saying in art galleries, you know, that that people buy art because they have money to burn. Well, no, some people truly appreciate the aesthetics. And I, I think there's just, there's, that's what's beautiful about our business. There's so many people, reasons people buy cards. Yes, I'm an investor, but I buy cards for aesthetics and beauty all the time. I have some cards that you would laugh at me for owning, but I've always loved having Tim Flannery holding the surfboard in 1988 Fleer. Or the Keith Comstock error in 88 Tops, because I remember pulling the card the first time. Or the John Littlefield reverse negative. Those were not investment cards, but they were cards that were meaningful to me early in my hobby days. So I want to own them. Or I look at a card like 53 Bowman Color. I think it's Pee Wee Reese. Where, you know, that's one of the Great best card. cards. That may be the most beautiful piece of cardboard ever made. I agree. And that card's worth a couple hundred bucks for a presentable copy. 
it's a thing of beauty. Yeah. Card's never going to go up because it's a fifth year Pee Wee Reese. Who cares? But it's a beautiful piece of cardboard. And it like, that's why we do this because it makes us feel things. That's why I own it. So the fact that I bought cards for four different reasons this year alone, it's, it's interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mike Wick loves your enthusiasm, Brian, as do Bye. I. And the, you're always a, a great guest to have on the show. People love when you come on. Uh, Darcy, my buddy Darcy says, hi, you guys. Great to hear you. Anything McDavid rookie is solid gold investment and should go up. If he ever wins a championship, maybe. That's the only risk. Is if he never wins a championship, is that like a is that like a mar on it? Because the greats win titles. What about right? Trout? What about Mike Trout? I mean, that's that's a possible knock. It's a possible knock. But it's the same thing. You're talking about the best player in the game during their tenure. Yeah. No, I get it. But I mean, I think. The GOATs, again, being the best player for five or ten years is one thing. To be a GOAT, you transcend just pure on-the-field talent. You become legendary. And the legends win championships. Gretzky, Jordan, LeBron, go through the list. Mantle, Koufax, Brady, Jeter. The greats win championships. Yeah. And that, and again, great, not just the greats, the greatest of all times win championships. Could McDavid do that? Maybe. Doesn't feel like it right now, but maybe. But that's the upside. That's why I like Cup, Cross, uh, Cup McDavid's because I think they're priced like he's never going to win a championship. And I do believe Luca will win a championship before McDavid. So the guy, someone just commented, Luca, McDavid, and Trout are in the same boat. I think Luca has a much better chance of winning a championship than McDavid. Well, players, because I think his talent alone could carry that team if they got one or two pieces. He'll decide where he wants to play, and he'll go wherever you know. He'll have the opportunity to go eventually. Play. Yeah, that's what happens in basketball. So, uh, Beans, Beans says, "Stop yelling at me, Jeremy. I've already liked, subscribed, and shared on the Twitter. I know you have Beans. You're you're the best retweeter out there. Much much appreciated." Michael Ham says to hit the like button. Do it. Do it. Uh, yeah, our, our guy, Mike Canadian Cards, had a bad hip, uh, but great to see you uh, toughing it out at the show. Uh, DR says, Brian, would you, ever be, would you ever be open to creating an open source free course to help the new people in the hobby? Do you have time for that, Brian? Not really, but I'll tell you what. I've been, I've been participating in a lot of chats on Clubhouse. And I don't know if people are members of Clubhouse. It's an app that is phenomenal. There's some good, sometimes good chat, sometimes worthless chat in there. But I'm thinking about starting some chat rooms where people can come in and we can interact, where it really could be kind of an open fire, like the same conversation we're having here, but more interactive even, where we're not just typing in chat, but like asking physical questions. I love the concept of being able to engage like that. And again, you got to take what I say for what it's worth, what you're paying for, which is zero. This is pretty free. But I hope that in 30 years, if I learn anything and I can get you one good idea, it's probably worth hearing me talk for an hour. If you get one or two good ideas from it and throw the rest away, because I'm going to give you some wide, wild thoughts and some of it I'm going to be wrong. But you, if you really, again, this is the beauty of it. People your whole life will try to tell you what to believe and what to think. But you can do that for yourself. And it doesn't just apply to vaccines and other stuff in the world. It applies to everything. 
you can process information and decide what's valuable to you and what is BS. And if you think I'm an idiot for thinking 30,000 is not too big a pop, then you cannot buy those cards. You can take my idea to buy raw while everyone's dumping raw. You can take that idea instead. Maybe I'll say one thing that makes sense. So that might be a good idea to create more platforms. And even if it's just talking for 30 minutes, what that, and I love it too. That's the beautiful part. It is worth it to me if I get to interact with people. That's why I do this. I love this. I don't just make money at doing it. I love it. All right. Well, th there, there you go. There you go, DR. He's he's open to it and find Brian on Clubhouse. Travis says, first time viewing and this insight is all around fantastic. Good work, guys. Thank you, Travis. Thank Welcome you. to Sports Cards Live. All right. Oh, one for the task. What does Brian think about cracking and resubmitting to different graders? If grading standards are comparable, why shouldn't everyone crack their SGC 10s to send to PSA? And I think if you do that, I think you may find out why PSA carries a premium value. First off, there's no guarantee all your cards will end up in PSA holders. And if they do, I think you'll be shocked at how many nines or worse you end up with. And it's just, again, every company's got their own set of grading standards. I don't play that game. You know, I buy a lot of raw because we I have people on my team. I have a good eye or people on my team with a great eye. And so we're able to buy raw. And if we buy your raw, it's probably really high grade. Probably not a good sales pitch for buying your raw, but if we look at your raw and we're willing to buy it, you probably shouldn't be selling it, to be honest with you. Because those products are probably going to PSA 10 or BGS 9.5 or better. So, like, so I'm just telling you, there's a lot of value in raw. There really is. And, and, and again, you don't have to buy an SGC to try to turn it into PSA. That's a fool's game. You will get crushed way more than you hit the jackpot. All right. Frankie, thank you very much. Glad to have you. As always, Delon, how many people do you think are in the hobby? Do you have hey, throw a number out there, Brian, if you can? Throw I think my over-under is a lot. A lot. No, I think I think worldwide, I think there I think there really could be a million collectors worldwide. That's it. That's a lot. A million collectors? First off, do you think That's one of the three hundred people in the United States collect? They collect something, but do they collect cards? I don't think it's in the U.S. There's no way we have a million collectors. Yeah, no, you, you put it that way. Maybe we're below a million in the U.S. for sure. But I think in like China, I think this is where it gets wild is China, Japan, Canada. You know, I think you have people. I think a million is probably a reasonable number. Now, if you expand that into collectibles, then it's tens of millions because people collect in some countries. We're talking sports cards here. Yeah, sports cards alone probably ten million, probably a million total, a million. maybe a million and a half, maybe a million and a half in the All world. Right. You think people in India are really going around saying, I want to buy sports cards? No. You think they're in Africa? You think people are going around collecting sports cards? They're trying to collect water. Like, they're not collecting sports cards. I mean, for real, it's priorities and it's disposable income. People in Europe, really, it's it's only a new thing to collect cards in Europe because they're not – that's not how they work in their head. It's like it's been an adjustment for cards in Europe to really blossom. It's maybe, it's, maybe it's more. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's two million. Maybe it's, it's, a first, it's, it's a first world. It's a first world game, any which way you look at it, though. For sure. Yes, it's a first world game, especially at these current prices, no doubt. Toa says, "I love beat up cards. I think it adds character and tells a story." I agree to an extent. I definitely do agree with that in certain uh, cases. Marino, not a goat. Brady is a goat. Someone was asking about Marino. Dale Earnhardt is the greatest. Says Beans. Card porn says Brian. Interested in your take on a card invest. Sorry, in, interested in your take on card investing while being a card maker. Other companies have internal rules about buying 
talking about cards openly, but you have no problems with yeah. it. Well, international, like if you walked up to my booth, I had people come up to my booth and try to sell me leaf cards. And I told them I couldn't buy them. Even though I think some of my cards are actually a good investment, I couldn't buy them because I said it's a conflict of interest because if I buy your leaf card, then people will think I never put it in the packs in the first place. So I refused to buy leaf cards there. And I could have bought some good deals because I actually think leaf is underpriced in many cases because we make the good players so available. But if you look, I mean, like I just saw like a, First-year Trinity Tatis patch just sold for like $1,800 on eBay. You could have bought that card for $40 on release. So I think there's there's definitely some value. I'd love to be able to invest in my own stuff, but I can't. But what 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 harm is there in me buying Panini stuff or Top stuff? You know, is it like is it like if you work for Apple, you can't buy Microsoft stock? <laughs> you buy Microsoft stock. Actually, if you bought Apple stocks, when it gets questionable, right? Because you may know something. So I think I think I, I just love the that's what's beautiful about the hobby is I don't have to make it to think it's wonderful. There's wonderful stuff every company's made over the last hundred years that I find appealing for one reason or another. And as an investment, most of the stuff I like, you know, I'm perfectly fine not buying my own cards. There's plenty of good stuff out there to buy. But you should be investing in Leaf because there is some cheap Leaf stuff out there I think you can make money on. All right. Good. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it around for a second uh, and say to card porn – and I wonder how many people would like to see card porn on the show, even without camera and a disguised voice, because card porn is very serious about their anonymity. But card porn, we got to get you on the show. Alter your voice, no camera, just audio. Let's 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 figure out a way and make that happen. That would be a lot of fun. PSA Slab Guy says, does Brian have thoughts on vintage graded packs for long term value, especially in high grade? I mean, I like them. I've, I own some here and there, but, you know, it's. um Again, the prices have gotten to a point to where I think a lot of the upside is priced in. There's just so much premium to unopen right now. You know, I just think there's so much premium. I would rather buy, again, to me, I'd rather buy a Barkley rookie and whatever grade corresponds to an 86, 87 pack in PSA. You know, I just, to me, I'd rather buy known quantities because, again, I just – and I know wax is rare and all these things. I just, I think wax premium is very high. And that goes for new products too. A box of mosaic football is very premium price compared to the content. Or a box of leaf pick a product is priced higher than what's inside generally. That's the nature of wax. So I, I've always tended to be a know what asset I'm buying kind of guy. I love them. I love unopened packs. I have a run of, I have a run of unopened wax packs. Personally, I collect them for what they are, for the artifacts yeah, they are. See, I collect them. I don't necessarily invest in them. I guess I'm value-minded collector, but. All right, let's keep on. Johnny with a very nice comment. Jeremy, you have the best sports card channel, bar none. Brian is one of the best guests and definitely the most honest and transparent. Thank you very much, Johnny. Really appreciate that. Rock Latex reminds us that Jordan didn't win his first title until the seventh season. We need to be a little bit more patient on Luca. Same thing can be said for Mario Lemieux. Didn't win his first season, uh, cup till 91. He came in the league in around 85. Off topic, says Mike Wick, but Brian, why don't you post more on Instagram? You know, I've always been a Twitter guy, and I think it's because it's word-driven instead of picture-driven. And I just – I need to probably post more on Insta because that's where the people are. And, you know, same thing. I think we're looking at – um, I think we're – I need to be looking at TikTok because if we're trying to get some of these young people to be more excited about what's going on where we're at, I think there's a lot of kids there, and there are a lot of people at, TikTok, at uh, Insta. And, you know, I think I think we definitely need to invest in those channels more. I tend to do Twitter because it's so quick. I can just type a quick line 
Like when I recommended Otani rookies at $60 and PSA 10 tops update, I could just take a quick picture off of Google, throw it up there and say, man, how I love this card at 60 bucks, which I did. If you look back at my old Twitter, you know, stuff like that, I can do it in two seconds. And I guess I can do it on Insta too, but like Twitter's just so quick and easy. So boom, 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 boom. You know, and, and people respond right away. We get great metrics on who sees it, what they say. You know, you engage in discussion back and forth a lot more so than I think on Insta happens. Most it's people just like to be trying Insta. I don't know. Insta's got Insta's got a lot of uh, back and forth too. Whether it's I need like to learn. Account. I need to learn more about that and do a better job of interacting there. It's growing. You should be. You could be on there. You can have. You know, be on, Leaf Trading Cards has an account, as you well know. Uh, you don't see a ton of posts there, but even your personal account, you could just post there. Yeah. Anyway. Mike Petty says 10 million collectors. Michael Ham says 10 million just in the U.S. Mike Petty says maybe 1 million crooks. Um, <laughs> COVID card collector says 1 million post-COVID or pre-COVID. Interesting well, today, well, the number of That's a good question. With the number of masks in the national, we might see a decrease. That's I mean, I, have you noticed? But if you, on a serious note, I've been saying prayers for some people because I've heard there are cases from the national. I'm starting to hear about the cases. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know it's just... It's not a surprise, but it's I think we should, all, we should all think about the people that we know and love in the hobby that are our fellow collectors who are going through stuff because of their passion. They went to this event and there are some cases. And so, yeah. you know, not to make jokes about the COVID stuff, but I think we actually have some collectors that have been unfortunately riddled with this after the show. No, no, no doubt about it. I'm thankful that I got my uh, my second test back today, actually just a couple hours, uh, just a couple hours before we went live here. Came back negative, so I was uh, relieved as as I would obviously be for that. Rob says, "What was peak attendance at National?" I don't know. I heard there were ninety thousand three day passes or something like that sold. What, did you hear anything about attendance, Brian? I mean, no, I heard it include general admission, walk up, and all people that. People were saying that the cumulative admission was over a hundred k. I heard one fifty at one point, but I think I still think we paled to ninety one. I think ninety one was bigger, ninety one in Anaheim, but. We had more unique attendees in 91 Anaheim, for sure. This show, I think when people came, they came for four days yeah. or three days. Yeah. Yeah. So 100,000 really could be 35,000 three times. You know, it could be a lot of people who came through. Like you said, it could be. It wasn't 100. I don't think it was 100,000 unique people. I don't think that's the metric. I think the metric was how many people walked in the door. And if you walked in three times, you got three. COVID loves uh, this this name. I, I like to shorten names, and I can't just call somebody COVID. Like COVID <laughs> card collector. I love Brian's honesty and passion. Uh, D. Nick says you missed the window to buy a Luca Silver on the cheap. Oh, I don't right? think so. I think I think when you can buy PSA nines, what are they now? Two thousand dollars or less for silver. I think that's interesting. And PSA tens are forty five to forty eight hundred. I know that sounds like a lot of money. But compared to eight thousand, which it was seven months ago, did you really miss the chance? You bet you missed the chance to buy it at the cheapest. Yeah, but maybe not at the cheap compared to where it was. It's all relevant. Okay, back to card porn. COVID card collectors says I thought card porn was known now. Game time says yes. Get card porn on the show. Toa Hank says we are all card porn. COVID hmm. card collector says card porn isn't one person. Yeah, we've always known that that card porn is a a group of people, at least more than one person. That's been that's been well publicized. Logan Ward says, "I double dog dare you at Card Porn to be on Jeremy's show. That would be an epic episode." Card is Porn, card porn like the, is Card Porn like the creator of uh, Bitcoin, 
Yeah. Well, like, it could be someone. It could be 10 people. It could be no one. We'll never know. It's a great mystery. We don't know who card porn I need to make is. a card of card porn and just have it. Just be like a, a big shadow, yeah, just just a silhouette. Shadow. I do know. I can tell you. I know. I know with ninety nine point nine percent certainty who one person in, in card porn is. I'll never tell because I won't do that to card porn. But I know who one person for sure is in card porn. But that's only one. I'd like to. I'd like to know the rest of them. Okay, Beans Ball Card. Uh, Beans Ball Card Blogs is one of the coolest pickups I've seen from the National. Was a graded cello pack with one of the Packers lineman Hall of Famer Jerry Kramer on the front, who was added to an amazing Packers collection. Very cool. It also says it annoys me. I can't post on IG from my laptop. If I could, I'd post a lot more. I think you can. Can you not? I'm not sure. I thought you could. Maybe not. I thought you could too. I thought you could too. Okay, Colin Murray, the price of raw cards are going up big time because of the high cost of grade commons. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Toa heard the whole heritage auction team got COVID. I've heard that as well. See, I didn't hear that one. I had heard some PSA customer service people. And, you know, and a few people posted on Twitter, like Kentucky Cards and a few other guys who we prayed for this week. You know, but it's happening. I mean, it's it's terrible. I hate that. Oh, of course, of course. And the Heritage guys are great guys here in Dallas. We hate to hear that. Yeah, that's too bad, definitely. Uh, COVID Card Collector says, yes, there are more and more hobbyists with COVID now. Thoughts are with them all. We are a community. Seriously, yeah. Well said, COVID Card Collector. Thank you for putting those good vibes out there. Panini had Ray on his channel this year, and I believe it was 110,000. So Ray uh, Schulte. I believe they have the number was 110,000. So that's pretty cool. D Nick says over 100,000 people as well being attendance at the national refractor Jones. I'm one who wore a mask and I still got COVID enjoying oh. the show from bed. Wow. Refractor wow. Jones. We'll, we'll, we'll pray for you. That's terrible, but hopefully you got a mild case and not a crazy bad case. Yeah. Definitely. But I will pray for you. Uh, COVID card collector reminds me to refer to him as triple C, which I did a couple weeks ago. Thank you for that. I will, I will do that for sure. C cubed, baby. C cubed, C cubed, C cubed. Uh, Troy says it was bound to happen with cases. We saw the videos, little masks, little mask wearing and, uh, zero social distancing. Yeah, that's what, that's what it was. Pretty much what it was. If 90,000 bought the VIP, how would there only be 30,000 unique visit? Yeah, that there were. I don't think they sold 90,000 VIPs at all. No, because, no. Because the, the VIP, the way they did this was there were 4,500 true VIPs. And then I think there were another three to 5,000 that were three-day passes without the VIP gifts. They only sold like 10,000 true VIPs. And then they sold some multi-day passes. That's what I was talking about. But I think yeah. when you add it all up, I think it's, it could be 40,000 unique visitors. I don't think it was, it's definitely not 100,000 unique visitors. I think right. the National said one time ever that's happened, and that was 1991 and on. Pittsburgh, welcome to the show. We were talking about your grading company a little bit earlier. Jordan, yeah, I can tell you it'll be our secret, all 220 of us. Jordan Toa says Jordan Wick is card porn. Mike Wick, to Brian's point of great leaf cards, I've been hoarding the leaf 2011 and 12 Pete Rose Legacy Autograph Series for great prices. Very nice, very nice. Uh, collector, you can post on Instagram from Windows 10 as of like a month ago. There you yeah. go. There you go. All right, man. Listen, we are an hour and 50, almost an hour and 50 minutes into this. Uh, there were two questions I got. I wanted to touch on these. So Chrissy Buckets wanted to know about Damian Lillard and uh, regarding the, the deal that you have, you had with him um, being mostly Leaf exclusive. He wanted to know, how did that deal go down and what did that deal look like? Well, you know, back then we, we got into like a really competitive situation with Panini. So we both wanted Anthony Davis. 
So we offered a huge amount of money for Anthony Davis. And Panini matched our offer, and the, Anthony went with Panini. So I was really upset. So I was like, oh, crap. So then I went for Michael Kidd Gilchrist and offered him an obscene amount of money. And thank sweet baby Jesus that they matched it and he picked them because I would have lost that fortune. But then, you know, it's funny. Damian Lillard was like picked a little bit later in the lottery. I knew he's a winner because first off, small school guy like that. I just knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. So the agent was Durant's agent. And they thought Damian was worth way more than his draft position would have justified in the small school. And so I think he probably got offered $10 by other card companies. I offered $25. Non-exclusive. And the other company said they didn't want to do him. And we did him. And then it was like, well, since you're only working with us, why don't we expand the relationship and make it truly exclusive? Now, so we did have him exclusive for most of the year. At the end of the year, what I realized is I really don't like exclusives, even though I've done a few. I don't like them. So I actually worked with Panini to sell them some autographs so they can make a few offerings with Lillard autographs because it's a goodwill gesture. And I, and I actually tried to do this with Upper Deck on my exclusives when I had Eichel and when I had Ishia and Patrick. I offered them autographs because I wasn't trying to hoard them up. I just wanted to create an atmosphere where we all say, why don't we all make cards of these great players and let the marketplace buy what they want to buy? And so with Panini, we were able to have a meeting in the minds of, let us help out and supply Lillard. And honestly, we have a pretty good relationship with Panini, partially because it's not adversarial. It's let's stay in our lane and do our thing. And I think at the end of the day, collectors will benefit from that. So that's the story of really how we got Lillard. We believed in him and paid really high for him when the other company didn't really, they weren't so sure about him. We expanded to an exclusive relationship, but that's why you have a handful of Lillard autographed rookie cards in Panini was we thought it was best for the hobby to not board them up. And at the very end, we sold them some autographs, and it was a great thing. Uh, Oz Cardinal says, Lillard still is the only player that has a rookie sticker auto in Flawless, and then Cardboard makes the very astute comment that Jeremy Lee is Cardboard. How can I type that when I'm here, Cardboard? So, not me. Not me. But I appreciate the vote of confidence, for sure, for sure. Terry Fortune says it's Peter North card porn. He was on here last year and haven't seen much of him since. It makes total sense. Uh, Daniel, great episode. Jeremy missed this last week. Brian Gray is a class act all the way. Thank you for the comment, Dan. Always great to hear from you. Superbad says we should have Brian every Saturday. Thank you in advance, guys. Thank you, Superbad. Appreciate sometimes it. Sometimes there's too much. Sometimes there's too much of a good thing. Yeah. My ambitious, passionate pleas of excitement. Honestly, you'll probably overdose on it. We don't need people overdosing. We have enough pandemic in our country than adding my enthusiasm to the mix. And I think the last time you're on was like, I forget if it was March or April or something like that, but it's actually, it's actually been a while. But it's always good to get Brian in here. You know, he's got his finger on the pulse of the hobby. So I like to, to hear his take. And and I think everybody, uh, the, the proof is in the pudding, right? We're getting a lot, a lot of people like to hear it for sure. We're gonna, we might end on this one, guys. We're going to come back uh, in about eight minutes with After Hours, where our guests will be Josh Johnson and Chris McGill, co-founders of Card Ladder. They've released a new feature onto their platform this past week. We're going to talk all about that and get their take on the National and how their experience was. But, Brian, what is the one thing that you would want us to know that we haven't promoted with a question tonight? Is there something on your mind 
hobby wise that we can. I mean, I think listen, they, they set me up to like promote something Leaf and tell you how great Leaf is and what this incredible thing we have coming out is. But honestly, rather than do that, I would urge I would urge you to think I like that one. I would urge you to not let people tell you how to think about what we do here, whether you're a collector or a dealer or a distributor, whatever you are, an investor, whatever your role is in this market. Do not let people dictate how you do what you do. Because I see collectors shamed all the time on Twitter for what they collect, and it's disgusting. To make fun of someone for what they collect is just terrible. And I think when you invest, if you believe something, just go with it. Don't care what anyone thinks. You're allowed to be contrarian. And if you're wrong, guess what? You can own it then. Yeah. What sucks is when someone tells you what to do and you do it and you slap yourself on the forehead and say, why did I listen to that fool? And that fool could be me. I hope it's not, but it could be. So you have to like take all this in and just do your thing. Don't let people tell you how to do it. And you know what? Just go with your gut. I think our guts are pretty good. Like It's like when someone's coming up behind you, you can just sense it. And sometimes in cards, we can sense it too. You watch a player play and you're like, that guy's like Wander Franco. He's putting up bad. He's not putting up great numbers, but you can see what's there. Like if you watch him, you see why he was the number one prospect. It's just not happening yet. When Soto sucked the first three months of the year, you knew what he could do. Don't let people tell you, oh, that guy's lost his thing. You know, just go with your instincts. I think people fail to do that way too much. Go with let people guys. tell them what to do, whatever it is. So anyway, I know you got to run to after hours. I'm glad I could be part of prime time tonight. Thanks. Hopefully it's not four months. So I'll see you again. We'll see you again. We'll get you on before the end of the year. Hang tight. One second. We're going to run through some final comments, but uh, you, you, I think you're done. I don't want to, I can't get you start talking again. We got to move on to the next show, <laughs> but, but hang tight right there for a couple minutes. Jordan Riker says, Brian, are you any different in person? You are at the show. I can attest to that. He is not. So can D Nick the one Brian is the same as he is on the show i agree with that completely uh refractor jones suffering from covid hope you get better thank you for joining the show tonight while you are under the weather and uh, we're all rallying for you to get 100%. well soon kajong wants to know will the hobby be this hot in two years five years uh i mean i'm i'm bullish on it as well it'll be hot for me that's one thing i can guarantee you it'll be this hot for me troy thank you so much you're welcome glad you enjoyed the show very much irving collects uh juicy honey irving i don't don't remember if i brought your comments up earlier but great to have you mike petty thanks for joining triple c says well said to mr gray thank you james for tita welcome thank you for joining the show tonight Gibstown says that's what social media is for to attack people some people definitely do use social media for that but hopefully they uh hopefully they see better days ahead for sure thank you overtime grading Thank you, D-Nick. Thank you, Superbad. Nice comment from Logan Ward. All right, guys, that is it. We're going to end this one. Be back in like four or maybe be a minute or two late with Josh and Chris from Card Ladder. Tim Kuhn 15 thank you for joining. If you're new to the show, guys, hit subscribe. Every Saturday, we come back with interviews with hobby insight, with industry insiders, passionate collectors, and content creators. Thank you, Nerwin Ong. Great to have you. That's it. I'm ending it. We'll see you back on in a couple minutes with the card letter, gentlemen. Be good, guys.